This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 166. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. First off let me say happy new year to all the listeners out there in the wider teapots community. It is great to be back two weeks off. Well truth be told two and a half weeks off because I uh, was a bit more um, organised than I usually am in years gone past and made sure that all my content was completely done, recorded, edited and in place a good couple of days before the last episode dropped. So I have had a podcast free time, no editing, no stressing, Um, a lot of watching actually. I've watched so much stuff, not strictly horror, but I've I've watched a lot, played a lot of computer games, um, just generally lounged about, put on a bit of weight, which I will try my hardest to shed over the next month and it began dry January which for those people there that don't know dry January is when you uh, do not partake of any alcohol for the full month of January which at first seemed like it was going to be a breeze I was like yeah I've had lots of beer I've had lots of booze lots of gin lots of whiskey lots of bourbon too many of them old fashions can I get a high five anyone um I had a lot of that and then I was like you know, so much alcohol now that I don't want to drink, so this will be easy. And then I returned to work, and within two days of returning to work, I was like, "Oh my god, I would murder an infant for for a cold bottle of beer." Um, so yeah, that's where I am now. How many days are we in? This is the sixth day of the month. Yeah, we can do this. Twenty-five days to go. No one's counting. No one's counting at all. So <laughs> this is the first episode back of the new year 2019 now 2018 was a fucking massive year for podcasts under the stairs those that are on the facebook group page know that we always post at the end of the year on hogmanay or new year's eve to the non-scots um we post the state of the teapots address where i basically catalogue everything that the podcast has done in the previous year that year that we're just leaving 2018 um and give some figures and facts and what we covered what we didn't cover thank people etc etc um so I'm going to quickly recap some of that here before we start this show. This show is packed to the fucking gills, ladies and gents. This is, of course, our end of year for 2018 show, which will feature my top 20 horror movies of 2018. Now, to say that this year was incredibly difficult. Now, I've said it previous years. Oh, it's so hard doing my top 20 list. Why did I put myself... This year was painful, as in there was almost tears in the eyes when certain movies slowly got shunted off the list as I remembered other titles which were more worthy of a place in my top 20 list. I will also swing out that remember this is a personal list. I am not saying that these are the top 20 best horror movies of 2018. No, what I'm saying is that these are my favourite. These are the ones that I thought were the best movies 
Now, to balance that out, because let's be honest, hearing me just rabble on about things is kind of cool, but at the end of the day, I am just one voice in a sea of many. Um, what I did was I asked listeners to uh, swing their top fives, or if you wanted to swing more, you could swing more into me. And uh, yeah, we've got loads of them came in, so I will be going through them as well. So as well as hearing my picks, my choice cuts, uh, you're also going to hear what listeners um, chose as their top five or top ten, etc, etc, as we go along. So they will be coming intermittently through the show. So keep around for that, please. And thank you very much to everyone that submitted their lists in. So yeah, let's uh, let's do some facts and figures just at the start here. Um, it was a huge year for us in 2018. We covered approximately 276 movie reviews, over approximately 135 recorded shows and commentaries. Um, the Baz, in his final year with Podcast Under the Stairs, covered 22 movies. Uh, we did um, amazing business with our Summer Teapot's Top 10 series on the 80s. That well, when you hear what the top five episodes were for the year, it's pretty much dominated by that series, and I would say rightly so. Uh, it was an incredible amount of work, and my ten guests were phenomenal, and I think the content we put out is maybe the best in Teapot's history. We will be, of course, returning in the summer with the next instalment of the Summer Teapot's Top 10 series, looking at the 1990s as a decade. That one is going to be even bigger in scope. I'm going to try and see if I can expand things out to even more guests. And um, yeah, we'll see what we can do. I've got a feeling we could make this thing fucking huge if we wanted it. I only conducted two interviews in the year with uh, people out with the podcast. Uh, uh, the director combination, uh, RKSS, who directed Summer of 84, came on to chat about their movie. And Graham Mason of Glasgow-based Burnt Cinema, uh, Burnt Church Cinema Club. I always get confused with that one for some reason. Uh, he came on to talk about the amazing work they're doing and bringing kind of small independent cinema viewings even though it's like it's genre stuff it's comedy stuff it's it's fan driven content to 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 the small uh, venue that they have there which has since he recorded with us expanded to Edinburgh so they now have two clubs one in Glasgow one in Edinburgh and um, that is only going to get bigger because they are doing things the right fucking way if you know what I mean um, our top five most downloaded episodes uh, episode 148 was at number one it was at number one spot uh, that was the Summer Teapot's top ten series looking at the, the year 1980 and the number two spot uh, was episode 153. That was the Summer Teapot's top ten series, looking at 1985. The third most downloaded episode was episode is bonus episode 100, the Teapot's five-year anniversary show, uh, featuring Scott and Liam, um, and a massive drunken debate with myself, as well as a little bit of time with the bears. Um, we came in with our fourth most downloaded episode was episode 154, which is once again Summer Teapot's top 10 series looking at 1986. And then the fifth most downloaded episode in um, the year of our Lord of 2008 was episode 156, was the Summer Teapot's top 10 series looking at 1988. So there you go. Uh, like I say, they dominated because they were just fun to do. And I think everyone really rallied in, and I'm looking forward to doing them 90s. Because, like I say, I just got a feeling that a lot of you out there are like, oh, I think you just spend the horror shit's a bit. There's so much little niche, little corners out there of 90s horror that are dying to be explored. And I think that kind of, is it a horror movie, isn't it a horror movie conversation will come into full focus when we start talking about the 90s. So I'm really looking forward to do it. The last thing I'll say is number wise, um, you will remember this time last year, 
I uh, marvelled at the fact that we had a 62% increase in listenership between 2016 and 2017. Well, we had a 52% increase between 2017 and 2018. We had a grand total of 84,250 downloads. 84,250 downloads in 2018, which is fucking incredible. To put that into perspective for you listeners out there, the first four years of podcasts under the stairs, we finally reached 100,000 downloads. And in 2018, we almost doubled that figure. So I can't thank you enough. Um, I hope you continue supporting the show. I hope you continue doing what you do, which makes me happy. And I will continue doing what I do, which will hopefully keep you happy right uh, <laughs> there'll be loads of updates at the end of this episode as to what is coming up on the radar in January and to say I'm coming back with the thunder is an understatement you are getting a fucking ton of content a tsunami a deluge of content coming your way so strap yourselves in ladies and gents but before we get to that we are taking a very short break just now We are going to play some promos for shows that I love. We're going to play a little bit of music and when we return, I'm going to give you some listener top fives and top tens ahead of officially kicking off the podcast under the stairs top 20 horror movies of 2018. All that and more ladies and gents coming up right after this. Hello? Who are you trying to reach? I don't know. Oh, I think you've got the wrong number. Do I? I'm going to hang up. Wait, don't hang up. What's that noise? Popcorn? You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn when I listen to podcasts. I'm about to listen to a podcast. Oh, really? Which one? Probably the podcast on Haunted Hill. Is that the one with the two guys with the beards? Uh, yeah, Dan and Gav. Most episodes, they look at two different horror movies. Each episode, they look at a world of a strange, where they look at weird things from around the world. Sometimes, they even do special episodes where they look at different genres or directors' discographies and talk about them. Do you have a boyfriend? Maybe. So where can I find the podcast on Haunted Hill? Well, you can go to legionpodcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, or just go into iTunes and search for the podcast on Haunted Hill. So, are you going to ask me out?
challenge the world to a game of mighty one's own business. So consider your hobby to harass me. I'm provoked. Have I revoked? My moon, my sun, my time will come someday. I'll say my life, my way. Welcome back. So here we go, here we go. So before we officially kick into my top 20 of 2018, let's do some listener ones. Um, I want to kick in uh, as many of these as possible and we did get loads. Um, I think at the last count we got about 15 or 16 lists, which is huge for podcasts under the stairs. Um, not compared to our listenership, but mostly when I ask people to do things, people are like, um... Hands go in the pocket, start shuffling on the floor, look at the sky, maybe look at the feet. Uh, it's, it's always difficult to get people to participate in these things, mostly because people don't have time. So the fact that we got a list of the calibre that we did made me smile. And t- to tell the truth, while I'm still recording this, I'm still actually receiving drips and drabs. So um, if I did not make it to your one, it might just be because you just didn't get it in, in time. That also being said, they came in through so many different mechanisms, whether it was uh, direct messages, um, emails, um, that trying to keep up to date with all of them was a bit of a bit of a task as well. So once again, if I don't get to yours either, uh, it's because of multiple reasons and I do apologise, but I did try and put in every single list that was submitted to me. So um, let's just do this and let's kick into this right now. So um, let's start, where will we go, where will we go? We'll start with Mark Lockhart, um, who joined us for the Puppet Master Retro. Bloody nice guy that he is. And he says, sup big dunk. Please find my top five horror movies of 2018. Now I'm going to do them in reverse order with all of these, so I'll be working from five down to one. At number five, he has put Halloween from 2018. At number four, he put Hereditary. Uh, at number three was A Quiet Place. 
At number two was the very bleak possum. And at number one was Mandy. And he's put beside Mandy, hashtag godlike, hashtag OMG. Says, cracking show, son. You have a fan here for life. Love what you're doing, so keep doing it. Thank you for the opportunity to list my faves of the year. Wishing you and your family a cracking 2019. All the best, mate. Thank you very much for submitting that in. Mark, that is um, awesome. What a list. At number five, Halloween. At number four, Hereditary. At number three, A Quiet Place. At number two, Possum. And at number one, Mandy. That was Mark Lockhart. Let's move up. This one's got a bit of blurb with it. It's our good buddy Matt Jones. Matt Jones says, Greetings amigo. Well, 2018 was another great year to be a horror film fan. Probably the best one for quite some time. I reckon I watched more horrors last year than any other with some strong showings on the big screen, Blu-ray and streaming services as well as many classic rewatches. My top five list was fairly easy to compile in the end but I do have a few honourable mentions. Hereditary, Unseen and Overlord were great to catch on the big screen and the highly anticipated Halloween sequel was done rather well, I thought. I, at home, enjoyed The Darkness of Summer of 84, the festive fun of Secret Santa, which myself and fellow listener Ian McFadgen had a blast with, The Intrigue of the Endless, which I've excluded from my top five as it's more fringe horror, and I'd just seen Revenge, which I loved due to the stunning cinematography and score and the realistic gruesome gore, but just missed out on my final five, which are as follows. At number five for Matt Jones, Incident in a Ghostland, a scary twist home invasion tale from the director of Martyrs, which is proper full-on intense. At number four, Apostle, Gareth Evans proving that he can do he can do effective folk horror to rival even the Wicked Man with great performances from Dan Stevens, Michael Sheen, and Mark Lewis Jones. At number three, Erementari, The Blacksmith and the Devil, a wonderful Del Toro-esque fairy tale in the Basque language with one of the best depictions of hell on screen. At number two, Mandy. After a gorgeous slow burn of a first act, we enter full-on cage rage mode as Panos Cosmatos brings us one of the most batshit crazy experiences in recent years. This could have easily been my number one. But taking the number one spot is A Quiet Place, which delivers incredible tension even on my second viewing at the cinema. John Krasinski steps up to the director role with excellent near dialogue free acting from himself, wife Emily Blunt and the child actors in this awesome cinematic masterpiece. I don't think I've ever felt such tension in a public place before. So a very high bar has been set by 2018's horror releases but there are several films on the horizon I'm looking forward to. What is sure to be another bumper year for podcasts under the stairs. As always, keep up the amazing work and keep us entertained several times a week. I really don't know how you do it, dude. Cheers, Duncan, and a very happy 2019. So Matt Jones coming in with his top five at five, Incident at Ghostland at four, Apostle. And number three, Elementary, The Devil and the Blacksmith. And number two, Mandy. And at number one, A Quiet Place. So let's swing it to another one. Uh, our good buddy George Cookman Cook uh, says uh, his top five for 2018, nice and short, right to the point. Number five, The Strangers Pray at Night. And number four, Mandy. And number three, Hereditary. And number two, A Quiet Place. And number one, taking George's top spot is a little movie called Revenge. Oh, that's right, Revenge topping his list. The last one of the listener reviews before we jump out and do some of mine. Uh, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it, uh, is from Tony Case. He says, here is my top five of the year. 
and he instantly confused me when he did this. Thanks for this, Tony. At number six, Summer of 84. At number five, Revenge. At number four, Overlord. At number three, Halloween. At number two, Suspiria. And at number one, Mandy. He says, Mandy and Suspiria are neck and neck. Ask me Monday, I give it to Mandy. Then ask me on Tuesday, I'll flip the two. I really need to see Halloween again to determine if it's number three material, but I'm comfortable with the choice for the moment. I think Revenge is a better movie, but Overlord is just so goddamn much fun. I have to rank it higher of the two. And yes, I slipped a six in there. There's no way I can't give a nod to that movie, so I'm ignoring the rules. Feel free to ignore my ignore. Would never ignore your ignore. Tony and some people submitted top 10 lists so um, it feels only right and just. So Tony Casey's top 6, uh, number 6 Summer of 84 and number 5 Revenge and number 4 Overlord and number 3 Halloween and number 2 Suspiria and at number 1 Mandy. Oh there we go, there we go. Let's slip another one in. Let's, let's be naughty. Can we slip another one in? Would you? <laughs> Would you feel it if I slipped another one in? Terrible question to ask. Um, I know, things have got filthier since the Baz has left. I don't know what it is. I think I'm overcompensating with a smut. Um, my good buddy, Brett Samson, the undead as I know him from Midnight Horror Show, flung me his list. And what a mighty list it is indeed. At number 10 on his list, Mum and Dad. At number 9, Overlord. At number 8, Satan's Slaves. At number 7, The Ritual. At number 6, Terrified. Number five is Revenge. Number four is Assassination Nation. That's my homeboy Brett bringing it. Bring the thunder, Brett. And number three, The House That Jack Built. Number two, Mandy. And the number one on Brett's list is Hereditary. So there we go. Brett's number 10, Mum and Dad. Nine, Overlord. Eight, Satan Slaves. Seven, The Ritual. Six, Terrified. Um, five is Revenge. Four, Assassination Nation. Three, The House That Jack Built. Two, Mandy. And one is hereditary so there we go there we go there we go that's the first group of listener ones ladies and gents we have a ton more to get to so we will do that um, after I count down the first five on my list now when I say first five I mean as in from 20 down to 16 we work from 20 down to 1 like all good lists should go because there's no atmosphere or no tension if I start with number one um, so that's what we'll be doing now as always uh, if you listen to last year, you'll know that each movie is preceded by a little clip from said movie, which I like to do. I like to find that in there just to keep you guessing to see if you can guess what the movie is before I say it. Um, and I should kick out some rules. This year, 2018, was the first year that I actually got a chance to go out and do a whole horror film festival. Now, I've done clips and bits and bobs before, but never really taken a full experience in. Um, and I went to Glasgow Fright Fest, and I'll be honest, Glasgow Fright Fest had a huge impact on me. And a, a few of those films that I saw at that have made my top 20 list, so be forewarned. It has, however, kicked up a immense quandary for me in that I have now seen movies which are not formally released in the UK or haven't had a formal release in the UK and as such it pains me to say I will mention them on my list but I will also mention an alternative title in its place as well. I don't feel it's fair to say this is my top seventh movie of you know the list here and it's a movie no one can see in the UK. I don't think that's right. What I'll do is I'll highlight them with the caveat there's a very good chance that when they're released in this year, 2019, that they will again make my end of year list. 
so be forewarned. There will be an alternative title in its place, but a mention for said title. It comes really important as we get to the very top of the list. When a certain movie, which you all expect to top my list, because I've done nothing but glow and gush about it all year, didn't get the release I expected it to, so thus has been kind of disqualified from appearing on my list. Also, just putting out these little rules early here because I know for a fact I'm going to get some kickback. Um, like I said before, I will justify my pick for picking them. If you disagree with me, that is fine, but it is my list. It's a personal list. I'm not saying that I'm right and you're wrong by any stretch of the imagination. If you disagree with me, please keep it to yourself. <laughs> That's all I can say. Um, or start your own podcast and do your own list. Uh, it's probably the nicest way I can put it. I always get I always get kicked back at the end of the end of these shows, and it's generally by people that um, don't comment much on the page, uh, and it's usually sarcastic in the way of well, I, you know, trust you to pick a movie that's or whatever, um, which is cool. I mean, you're all entitled to your own opinions, but be forewarned. I will justify my reasons. If you disagree, that's your God-given right. God-given right as a person on this planet, but it's my God-given right as a person on this planet as well to do this show. Uh, so let's do it, let's do it, I'm so excited. So let's find out what made number 20 on my top 20 of 2018. Marry, shag, kill. Zombie Miley, zombie Rihanna. Zombie Beyonce. Kill them all, they're zombies. And play it properly. Marry Beyonce. Why are you killing Rihanna? That's not what I said. Well, obviously you're shagging. And that's right, making number 20 on the list. I caught this was the last cinema movie I saw in 2018. It was the last horror movie I officially saw in 2018. It was Anna and the Apocalypse. Now, I heard the buzz about this stemming back to last year when it started doing its festival run. When I say last year, I mean 2017. Uh, it did a little bit of festival run in the States. People were gushing about this movie. It then finally made its way to, I think it was Fright Fest. It, it kind of hammered out into, I want to say this year. I could be wrong about that one, down in London. And then it got a kind of proper release, weirdly, in, in quite a few cinemas in the UK at the end of 2018 I caught the very final showing in Glasgow me and the Baz went along the Baz claimed he didn't know it was a musical uh, that's right it's a musical um, but I think he did and he just wanted to pretend that he was being cool to who I don't know uh, but yeah me and Baz went to see its final showing in Glasgow and what a showing it was because um, John McPhail the director was in the audience he introduced the film we all got signed posters uh, they did a little competition and he just told us a little bit about the background of the movie which was this incredible story of a, a project which almost never happened but then found new life after the person originally behind it passed away. Um, this is described as a Zom-Com-Rom musical, I think is where they went with it. And it's set in Glasgow and a lot of people had started using words like glee uh, to describe it, which had instantly got my non-attention because uh, not something I'm interested in. I'm not the biggest fan of musicals either, but I love this idea of um, something coming from my home country, which is a little bit different and seems to be captivating like uh, reviewers and journalists and stuff. So I really wanted to do my little bit 
as little as it is to go out and check the movie in the cinema uh, before it disappears and then comes out in Blu-ray or whatnot in the UK. So me and Baz went to see it and um, yeah, this movie, I get a feeling in time it'll, it'll move up. It made my top 20 list because I wanted to make sure it was in my top 20 list and the 20th spot was really what I had left. I had to make a tough decision and put out a title at 20 to make sure this made the top 20. Um, for partially selfish reasons, like like I say, I want to support homegrown horror, specifically in my own country, which I feel at times um, doesn't get the uh, the credit it deserves. There's there's certain certain titles out there that I think are really worth your time, uh, and I highlight them every now and again, specifically from the UK. That I think sometimes people are just like, well, it's too, uh, you know, it's too regional, uh, so I can't watch it. I don't really understand what they're saying, um, which I kind of get, but. You know, at the same time, try. <laughs> like, persevere. Don't write off something straight away. That's what subtitles are used for. Um, I mean, this movie's cheesy as fuck. There's no getting around it. But the music was catchy. I loved the practical gore. I loved some of the CGI gore, if I'm honest. It was a, a really heartwarming story. It, like, it made me feel good about myself. Um, it made me care about the characters really, really, really quickly. There's some unexpected deaths in it as well, which kind of got me kind of like when I was watching it. Um, both myself and the Baz had a, a ton of fun with this one, and we're talking about just how we never expected it to have the impact it did on the way back. Um, yeah, I, I, I think when it eventually does make its way to physical media, you should check it out. I think this one is one that will find for sure its audience is one that definitely will be a future uh, December watch for me for years to come. It has to be watched around Christmas time now. I just thought it was really, 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 really good. And um, yeah, as you will hear me say many times on this countdown, in any other year, this movie would have scored a lot higher, but swung in against the massive competition of 2018, which is arguably, I would say, the best year of horror we've had in over a decade. Um, it was always going to be a tough slog, but I'm proud to say that it makes its appearance here for me at the number 20 spot. Anna and the Apocalypse. What happened then? I found him inside the church. The crowd scrammed me as soon as I hit the ground. Inside the church? How did you get inside the church? Dead bodies. What? Slow down. Slow down. Listen to me. Down. They're doing experiments Three. on them in there. They're doing experiments on the villagers. What? Just like her aunt. They're burning people with these flamethrowers and they're still moving the bodies. Cocoon things in there. Did you get eyes on the tower compound? She doesn't, she doesn't have a body and she's still she's still talking and I, I saw Rosenfeld. Voice! Did you get eyes on the tower compound? And at number 19, a movie that should have been so much higher on my list because there are few cinematic experiences that gave me the unbridled joy that this did. But unfortunately, once again, just this year is gonna is gonna beat her ass all the way right down it. Um, at number 19 is Overlord. Uh, a movie that didn't quite find its audience at the cinema and people were kind of surprised that it didn't do the business that it should have done. Um, I would counter by saying this movie cost about 33 million to make, which is an insane amount of money for a fucking horror movie. Um, and also it was released in November. Why release this movie in November when you can release this movie in October? Now people might counter and say, well Business Insiders knew that Halloween was going to do huge business in October. And yes, I would agree, Halloween would do huge business in October. But so would any other horror movie released in October. 
Just because there is one movie out in October does not mean that other horror movies cannot be put out in the same month. Because I guarantee the people that have passing interest in horror that went to see Halloween come out that going, you want to go and see another horror movie and if there's another one in the cinema they will go and see it. I think it was a colossal misstep by the people marketing the film to launch in there. I would also say 33 million for a movie which is ostensibly a Nazi exploitation zombie movie um, seems quite a lot. Uh, but I've also said this as well. Had you told me five years ago that J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot Company would put out a 33 million Nazi exploitation um, genre movie, kind of B movie, genre movie, and a full cinematic run, I would have spat in your face and called you a slut. Um, so I was, I was, I was greatly surprised. This movie is just balls to the wall, just fucking having fun from start to finish. Practical effects, boss. The special effects, boss. The story, kind of great. Alternative history, you know, the landings at D-Day, all, all that stuff. And um, just as they're about to do that, these soldiers that have the mission to save the day to bring down a comms tower. Uh, come across this evil experimentation done by the Nazis. Um, it, it was brilliant. I, I can't, I, I can't speak highly enough about how much I enjoyed Overlord. Um, I would love to see more of these movies make the cinema. Um, I don't think that will happen because it tends to be that people look at figures rather than how audiences feel. Uh, that's how businesses work anyway, and I don't think, because this movie didn't do as well, I think you probably struggle. I would love to see further out from this, I know the Cloverfield stuff is built, a cinematic universe that's built out. I think you could do the same with Overlord, I think you could you'd span this out. Um, certainly it felt franchisable to me, so we'll wait and see where it goes. Um, it was directed by Julius Avery, this dude can direct, it, it was it was great. The opening sequence of this movie, the opening five minutes uh, just before the landings, um, is some of the best kind of war footage and I am not into war films at all. It's, I love documentaries on war but I don't like films about war and I thought it was incredible. I thought it was absolutely captivating, I was kind of white knuckle gripping the side arms of my, my chair in the cinema while watching it I thought it was, you know, it, it was as good as I've ever seen any war movie do was this, you know, the, the, the build up to these men about to jump off this aircraft as flying over, you know, war-torn France being shot at by these massive shells it's fucking incredible uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again this is a movie that the Baz will love so I expect to hear him Somewhere down the line on the Facebook group page, rave about how much he enjoyed Overlord because, yep, this one's got bears written all over it. Great movie. Uh, wish it could have scored higher. Can't wait to watch it again. This is one that begs a rewatch, so we will see. Um, we'll see what happens uh, in future times, but yeah, by all means, get on it if you haven't got on it. There are a few films that will give you as much fun and action in equal measure as Overlord did in 2018. So at number 19 on my list, Overlord. It is Bildurtzeko mokoa. Er 
Rementalibat. At number 18 on my list, a movie that scored so high for me throughout most of the year uh, and looked like it was going to comfortably make my top 10, if not my top 5, that as November and December kind of went on, the more I kind of kicking down the list this unfortunately got. Um, this is one that I saw, this is the first of many that will appear on the list that I saw as part of Glasgow Fright Fest. Uh, a movie that really kind of captivated me by its visual style, um, its wonderful kind of dark folklorish tale, and uh, like Matt Jones said, one of the great, the best on-screen depictions of kind of Dante's Inferno, that the idea of hell that I've ever seen on screen. And number eighteen for me is Erementari, aka The Blacksmith and the Devil, directed by Paul Urkjo Alcho. Um, or Alho, Urkhalho, Halho, Halho, Cannot pronounce these names, these I struggle with greatly. Uh, should have maybe just not mentioned the director's name at all, but where is the fun in that, ladies and gents? Where is the fun in that? Um, the story itself is this kind of folk tale about a blacksmith who has captured a demon. Um, and as a result of capturing said demon uh, in a cage, um, it's kind of ostracised from the rest of the town. He is paying back a debt he owes uh, Satan um, slowly and kind of condemned to be ostracised from the town. And what should happen when a young girl comes across this and uh, the story spans out from there. Um, the Del Toro thing that gets kind of swung around is, is I think apt here and I think it certainly it certainly rolls in quite heavily on this one and rightly so I think what you get with this movie is and I can see where some of the complaints have come in that people are like it's not a horror movie um, I think it kind of is though I think it is in such a way that Pan's Labyrinth would be considered a horror movie so if you don't consider Pan's Labyrinth a horror movie, Elementary is not a horror movie to you. You're probably also the same sort of person that doesn't think Shape of Water is a horror movie um, so if you are that sort of way or you're that, you are that way inclined then this is not a movie I would recommend that you go out and watch looking for a horror movie but I would say it's constructed in such a way that like Grimm's fairy tales are are basically the, the, the kind of basis for modern horror stories. It's the way we tell stories. It's the it's the don't trust the stranger. It's the wolf in sheep's clothing. It's those sort of ideas. Um, and these are the kind of building blocks, the, the kind of pillars, the foundations that hold up modern horror. So when movies tackle that sort of fantasy, that sort of folklorish uh, horror story, I think they are totally horror movies, it's difficult to argue they're not um, from my perspective and Elementary is definitely in there, it is a fucking wonderfully shot movie, it looks like a lot of money has been spent on it, um, it was directed by, now let's get this right, I think this is a dude that wrote The Orphanage, the, the, the Del Toro produced Orphanage, so there's a specific visual eye that these guys seem to be involved with. It was uh, produced by Alex de Iglesia, who has done uh, Day of the Beast, um, The Bar, or El Bar, um, Witching and Bitching. So he's, you know, he's got his specific visual eye, which certainly bleeds into this style as well. Um, it's a Basque 
folktales. So the Basque region is region of Spain, although greatly contested. Um, I think it's, it's a French, Spanish region, or it's closer to France. Or I can't remember. Can't remember. Like this shows my ignorance in geography, and I apologise to those out there that know a lot better than I. Um, but yeah, so it's done in their regional dialect, which is a kind of version of Spanish, I think. Um, it made its way to Netflix though in the UK and um, in the States in October, and I started heavily pumping this movie out on on uh, social media. Go, please watch it. It's great. It's great. It's great. And a lot of the listeners did and. Surprisingly enough, it's made a lot of listeners end lists and a lot of people have been talking about it, which has made me happy. So um, I know that our buddy Bo Ransdell wasn't enamoured by it. He didn't like the sense of humour in it. But like I say, I countered back in our conversation about that one saying, I hear what you're saying, but folklore tales tend to have a sense of humour. They kind of have to because they were told back in times around campfires where, you know, or in large halls where you didn't have any sort of other entertainment so they were there to enthrall to scare to titillate and all the rest to make you laugh so the fact that they've captured that in here made me you know immensely happy and uh, yeah the end sequences of hell in this movie are it's like total fucking you know slash on a hill with a fucking huge 70 foot stack of martial amps behind them with nothing plugged in just playing to the wind um, totally fucking bitching so metal it made me hard as the dickens so there we go uh, so yeah <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of chat for this one but one that I really really liked probably should have been higher on the list probably going to hate myself for keeping it at number 18 but elementary there you are number 18 on the list your motherfucking mother to open this door motherfuckers Number 17 on the list, a movie that blew my fucking mind when I watched it um, in the best possible way. Uh, A movie that has, in my lexicon, um, now got me saying, uh, you know, sawzall, sawzall. Um, Oh my god, Mum and Dad, directed by Brian Taylor of Crank fame. Yeah, the crank director. What would happen if the crank director moved his hand to horror? Uh, well, you would get Mum and Dad, a movie that allows Nicolas Cage to do what Nicolas Cage does, uh, and does better than maybe any other actor on the planet, just go batshit fucking crazy. Um, movie also starred Selma Blair, who is phenomenal, and a little wink wink, nudge nudge, uh, happy little appearance from a little guy called Lance Henriksen, which made me so fucking happy I bounced on my seat the first time I watched it. So I got a screener for this one way back in January and then took my wife to see it at the cinema in March. I was like, you need to see this fucking movie. And she's like, do I? And I was like, you need to see this fucking movie. And she sat jaw dropped for the entire movie just unsure what she was watching uh, the synopsis for this one is basically it's like if you've seen that movie Cooties um, the Spectavision Elijah Wood movie which had kids eating what was it it was like chicken nuggets or something which made them aggressive against their parents it's like the reversal of that and this one here um, there's some sort of affliction spreading around the planet which is causing adults to kill their children um, to wipe them out. It never goes to explain what has caused it, uh, it doesn't need to and you're set at ground level with this family who are kind of dysfunctional with this mum and dad who aren't, 
repressed in a lot of ways, wishing they had done things differently, feeling that they'd lost their youth, slowly come over with this killing hysteria. Um, and this movie just delivered like laugh after cringe after oh my god I can't believe you just did this on camera um, all the way through it. Cage is phenomenal in this movie like actually straddles the line between what is kind of eye rolling ugh, and this is bitching all the way through it. This is a movie that was easily in my top 10 once again up until about November and then started to, to get punch drunk with a couple of movies which came in much later that I just instantly gravitated to a bit more but talk about thrill rides I mean it's about an hour and 25 minutes long it zips past at an incredible pace and has no time at all to take its foot off the gas from start to finish it is just balls to the walls crazy um, Cage is maybe like I said it's the second best Cage performance on my list that's right Nicholas Cage made my list twice in 2018 what the fuck is going on um Pigs certainly can fly, according to my list. But yeah, it was great. It was great. Uh, Selma Blair, wonderfully wicked. Um, she appears to be a vampire, because uh, she isn't aging like normal human beings. And even though there is a great age difference between Cage and Blair, on screen, they're a wonderful duo. Um, I love the fact that the movie kind of just, like, we get a snapshot of something that's happening during this time. And it doesn't feel the need to resolve anything in any sort of way, which just made me happy. I don't want it to be resolved. Um, and, and the world goes on, so to speak. Uh, yeah, Mum and Dad's bitching. I, I, I can't recommend that enough. This, to me, is a, the, the high definition of a fucking bonkers popcorn movie. Get some beers, get some popcorn, sit down, swing the movie on, kill about an hour and a, a bit of your time, be expected to blink and the movie is finished and you will you will not stop smiling from start to finish. Uh, yeah, Mum and Dad at number 17 on my list. Imprisoned her. I, who discovered what she could do for her. And the last one of this particular section, wrapping out our first five on the list, at number 16, Apostle. Now, Apostle is the, once again, using the sentence over and over again, boring everyone, making your eyes roll and cringe a little bit. Apostle is the very definition of any other year this movie would be. That's literally what I felt of this. It is everything I want to see in um, a kind of Gareth Evans movie, a director who's most commonly known for doing the Raid 1 and Raid 2, maybe two of the best action movies ever made on the planet. I say maybe as if there is argument there, and I don't think there is. Uh, he turned his hand to doing some kind of British folk horror with Lovecraftian twists, and he landed it fucking hard. Um, I think Dan Stevens is amazing in this movie. As mentioned by, I think it was our buddy Matt Jones, I think when you watch this movie, Michael Sheen is amazing in this movie. Uh, Mark Lewis Jones is so reprehensibly evil, it is difficult not to want to hurt this man. Um, but this idea of this kind of cultish community, 
of of religious devouts on an island and this recovering alcoholic trying to reclaim his sister who's been kidnapped by the cult and the uh, the slow kind of unwinding dark fantasy twist that comes out as he discovers more and more what is behind the power of this cult on this island as a centerpiece which is right up there with the likes of the burning wicker man it has shades of um blood and satan's claw um it has definite shades of lovecraftian horror in here there's a, a wicked turn there some of the visuals are the most stunning visuals i've seen in, in horror you could see this one in 4k uh, as well on, on Netflix where it's de debuted, so this is a Netflix horror movie and by god did Netflix just swing for the fences this year with, with horror content, they really really nailed it. Um, there's some of these visuals that I think are maybe the best in horror cinema this year and you're going to hear me say that a lot as well. Um, the idea of kind of mother nature, the earth, the, the demands, the sacrifice, the extanguination of blood um, feeding the planet, you know, the, the idea of misery and suffering, the, the kind of subtext of religion and how that's built on top of the suffering of others. It's all in this movie. I thought it was fucking great. And like I say, this led the charge. This was going to be so easily in my top 10. And then I come to do the list and I realise that there are just other movies here that I feel I need to voice stronger. Um, but Apostle is fucking great. It's phenomenal. It's a five-star movie. So that gives you an indication of where we're going after this. Um, yeah, just an incredible, incredible movie that... I don't know if it did find its audience. Uh, I know plenty of people that told me they liked it. I know plenty of people that told me they didn't. That thought it was too long. And it is. It's two hours and ten minutes, which seems very long for a movie. But if you're invested in the slow burn world of a Gareth Evans films, which I am... Um, it zipped past. It zipped past for me. I didn't, I didn't get that complaint at all. Granted, I've only seen it once. I know some people have seen it twice. And on their second viewing, they found issues with it. I'm looking at you, Scott and Liam. Um, I don't want to... Like, I will eventually see this movie again, but... If I'm going in to try and pick holes in a movie, then I can pick holes in every movie. But if I go into a movie and I judge it on the experience I had when I watched it, then that's what you get here. An honest review here. There, is that perfect movie? No, by any stretch of the imagination. Did it bring me into a world that I wish we could spend more time in? Yes, yes it did. Uh, yeah, so number 16. Closing out my top five, so the, the, the back five, so to speak, of, of the top 20. Um, is, is Apostle at number 16, which means at number 20 we had Anna and the Apocalypse, 19 Overlord, 18 Elementary, The Blacksmith and the Devil, number 17 was Mum and Dad, and number 16 was a puzzle. We are going to take a short break just now. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. When we return, we're going to be doing more of your top fives. And as well as that, we will be looking at... Oh yes, more of my lists as we count down on that top 20 of 2018. All that more coming right up right after this. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension of not only film and sound, but mind. A journey into an auditory movie review adventure that must be experienced to be believed. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Doomsday Clock. You can extract the Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock podcast by either searching for WYCH on Apple Podcasts 
Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Which, versus the Doomsday Clock, is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. So prepare yourself. The podcast ice is gonna break! And welcome back. So, let's continue on with our listeners. Um, The next list came in from Katie Pollock who said, Hi Duncan, hope the new year has been treating you well. Here is my top five of 2018. At number five, Elementary, The Blacksmith and The Devil. At number four, A Quiet Place. At number three, Hereditary. At number two, it was Mandy. And number one was Suspiria. She says, special mentions for movies that just missed out. Honestly, I spent ages backing and forthing on these two, Apostle and Calibre. TV show special mentions, The House on Haunted Hill. Very excited to hear your top 20. It's been a cracking year for horror and I know there's still tons I've yet to see. So looking forward to catching up with them this year. Thanks, mate. So that was Katie Pollock's top five. Elementary and the Blacksmith and the Devil was number five. Quiet Place at number 4, Hereditary at number 3, Mandy at number 2, and Suspiria at number 1. Next is David Garrett Jr. He says, Hey Duncan, here's my top 5 horror films of the year. At number 5, Incident in a Ghost Land. At number 4, The Bad Man. At number 3, Terrified. At number 2, Mandy. And at number 1 is Hereditary. Thanks and can't wait to hear your list and the others who contributed. Thank you very much David Garrett Jr. One of these guys has been keeping Movie Club alive in 2018. His top 5, Incident in Ghostland, number 5, 4 is The Bad Man, 3 is Terrified, 2 is Mandy and 1 is Hereditary. Um, next, Jamie McCauley, fairly new listener to Podcast Under the Stairs, frequent contributor and I love it. He says, hi mate, top 5 list here. At number 5, A Quiet Place. At number 4, Incident in a Ghostland. At number 3, Hereditary. At number 2, Ghost Stories. At number 1, Mandy said, Sorry dude, as much as I did enjoy Revenge, it just couldn't top those films for me. So it was Jamie McCauley's list at number 5, A Quiet Place. 4, Incident in a Ghostland. 3, Hereditary. 2, Ghost Stories. 1, Mandy. Uh, Up next, Derek Bourgeois. Derek, who joined us on the Puppet Master Retro, thank you very much for giving up your time for that. Derek gave me his top five. A couple of titles in here I have still to see. Um, Well, when I say a couple, there's one that I have still to see. I'm not aware of your number three at all, Derek, so I'm looking forward to checking this out. Uh, His top five at number five, The Ritual. At number four, The Clove Hitch Killer. At number three, The Black Gloves. I have not seen that movie yet, but it sounds like one I would love. Uh, Number two, Hereditary. And at number one, The House That Jack Built. Um, up next, Michael McCloskey. There should be no surprise on Michael's list here. I think everyone knew what was topping it, but let's get to it. Uh, at number five on Michael's list is Calibre. Good on you, son. And number four was Gonjam, Haunted Asylum. Number three, Elementary, Blacksmith and the Devil. Number two was Mandy. And at number one, I wonder what could be for Michael. I wonder what it could be. Hmm... Was it maybe Halloween? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Michael's List 5, Calibre 4, Gunjam Haunted Asylum 3, Elementary Blacksmith and the Devil 2, Mandy and number 1 was Halloween. There we go. Thanks very much for submitting that in, Michael. Uh, let's jump up and check out Matt Woods. He says, Here you go, boss man. Cheers for all your hard work and opening my eyes to some great movies and maybe even allowing certain movies that I wouldn't have watched enter my life. So thank you for that. 
It's been a great 2018 for horror for me, long may it continue for 2019. Here is my top 5. At number 5, Annihilation. At number 4, Piwacket. At number 3, I Remember You. At number 2, Revenge. And at number 1, Mandy. There we go. Thank you very much for submitting that list in, Matt Wood. I very much like you. Cannot wait to see where 2019 takes us. It can only go up, surely. Can't go down from here. So Matt Woods was 5 Annihilation, 4 Piwacket, 3 I Remember You, 2 Revenge and 1 Mandy. Let's do another one here. Uh, right, next is Abraham Ram. He says... Here's my top five of 2018, dude. Hope it's not too late to submit my list. Never too late for you, Abraham. He says, number five, you might be the killer. Number four was Satan's Slaves. Number three was Overlord. Number two was Halloween. And number one was Hereditary. So Abraham's list, five, you might be the killer. Four, Satan's Slaves. Three, Overlord. Two, Halloween. And one, Hereditary. So one more and then we'll jump back to my list. This one is Wordy, so bear with us. Uh, Rob Millen said, It's my first time writing to be part of the show and already I'm failing to follow instructions. Everyone fails the instructions, Rob, so it's okay. 2018 was just too chock full of great horror films to limit myself to five choices. Even limiting myself to ten has been a hard choice to make. However, so as not to drag the entire podcast to a halt while you read my list, I've chosen to only highlight five films out of my ten that I think are least likely to appear on other lists. So let's find out about them. At number ten, wait for their instructions. You're right, Rob, I've never heard of this one. It says, one of three movies on my list this year that takes place during Christmas. This one is set in a household already to the brink of fighting due to Brexit fueled hatred, leading to a very uncomfortable and all too familiar experience for anyone politically divided family. The tension ramps up and throughout the first two acts they're trapped inside their home by a mysterious outside force that speaks to them through their television set and then leads to a gonzo final 15 minutes filled with great practical effects that are a little bit Cronenberg and a little bit Hellraiser too. I think even for those find the message of the film a bit too heavy handed will love the crazy ending. I've not heard of this one uh, Rob so I, I, it's on my list now. I wait for the instructions at number 10. At number 9, Revenge. At number 8, Puka, another Christmas movie. This one delivered by Nacho Vigalondo, director of Time Crimes and Colossal um, as part of Hulu's Into the Dark series. A down and luck actor takes up a role of a cute and cuddly Christmas toy, Puka, who can either be naughty or nice and has a theme song that feels like it would fit right alongside the Silver Shamrock song in Halloween 3. It's not long before his life is thrown into disarray when you begin to wonder if he's going mad or if Puka is alive and acting on its own. The film is highlighted by Suspiria-like neon lighting and strange dreamlike visions as to build slowly to a heated climax that left me eager to figure out what was really going on. The acting is strong enough to keep me engaged the entire time and while I can see the ending as positively diverse or divisive, sorry. Uh, I think the journey there was worth its time. So that's Puka at number eight. I've not heard of that one. I did a bit of searching and it's not been released in the UK. So I'm not sure when I'll get to see it, Rob, but it's on my list for sure. Number seven is The Endless. Number eight, One Cut of the Dead. I was excited to see this pop up on Amazon Prime days before the end of 2018, only to be, uh, only to be left feeling of guilt 
uh, or feelings of guilt when I learned later that it was an illegally uploaded bootleg of the film. Why such guilt for something I could ha- couldn't have known? Well, it's probably because it had something to do with the fuzzy feelings I was left with after watching One Cut of the Dead. Most of the press around the film has been focused on the 40 minute one take of the zombie movie it opens up with, and it's certainly quite an achievement, but I think it's what comes after it that will really leave the mark on me. It was unexpectedly funny, heartwarming, and utterly surprising in that special way that only Japanese cinema often is. I'm eager to get a chance to support the filmmakers when it's blurry and hope that the leak doesn't spoil US release plans. So number six was one cut of the dead. Um, I'm going to see it on Monday, the day that this episode drops, Monday the 7th, um, in the cinema in the UK. Can't wait to see it, Rob. Uh, I know what you're saying. I saw it go viral as soon as people announced that it was on Prime and um, the despair of uh, Third Window, who are the distributors, um, trying to basically claw it off um, Amazon as quick as possible and obviously it sparks conversations that will need to be taken forward there to see how things go um, hasn't been officially released in the UK until 2019 so it is not in contention for my top 20 list however this movie was that you're about to talk about here um, number 5 Assassination Nation when I first saw the trailer for it it looked like a knockoff The Purge but then I happened across an article talking about the casting of a transgender actress Harry Neff in a role as um, of a member of your typical group of high school girls and the first attempt to be and inclusive uh, intrigued me uh, and boy am I glad that I decided to give this one a trance, uh, chance it slaps you across the face moments into the film with a montage of so many transgressive acts that will take place and it never lets up it really dives into the horror conventions of being filmed with a male gaze um, but then chastises the very thing by talking about toxic masculinity when everyone's secrets are revealed by an internet leak you can feel the emotion pour from the actors as they deal with their lives being ruined by it uh, it's filled with great performances including a slimy Joe McHale and if none of that appeals to you then behold one of the best home invasion sequences you'll ever see that goes on for probably 10 minutes of the film but feels like an eternity the only complaint I can levy at the film is the ending feels incomplete or anticlimactic after its huge build up to it so there we go Assassination Nation at number 5 and number 4 Anna and the Apocalypse and number 3 Cargo I'm a sucker for anything that makes me cry and Cargo managed to make me uh, tears poured down in buckets and presented as much like a family drama as it is a horror film that may be to the detriment of some but strong emotional attachment you develop for the characters I think alleviates moments of horror no horror film this year has made me care about the fate of its characters than this one did and I think the emotional attachment is something we need to pay more attention to in horror I want to be afraid for them more than I want to be afraid for myself Martin Freeman carries the film on his back pun intended if you've seen the film and makes interactions with other characters feel very much despite um, very real sorry despite taking place in a zombie infested outback this is the kind of realism I want in my zombie films complaints about the characters not automatically knowing what to do or caring about other people's above themselves and a zombie apocalypse should be left at the door overall this is one of the best recent zombie movies sitting right alongside Train to the Basan and showing that there's still quality stories to be wrung out of an oversaturated genre so number three was Cargo number two is Annihilation uh, and number one is Hereditary enough will be said about at the very least my top two that I didn't feel the need to say any more about them. All ten of these are great films and I could easily have picked ten more to talk about with the glut of greatness this year. I may have to start my own podcast just to be able to talk about the great films out in 2019 
is as good as 2018 was. Thank you very much for submitting that and Rob, a couple on that list that I need to check out, a couple on that list that you will get no complaints with with me, especially when it comes to Assassination Nation. Spoiler alert, it's higher on my list. Uh, well, it's higher up on my list. Um, so let's go back through his. Number 10, Await Further Instructions. 9 was Revenge. 8 was Puka. Uh, 7 The Endless, 6 One Cut of the Dead, 5 Assassination Nation, 4 Anna and the Apocalypse, 3 Cargo, 2 Annihilation and 1 Hereditary. So that was Rob Mullen. Thank you very much for submitting that in. Right, shall we take a short break from Listener Ones and gear ourselves up for a little bit more of Teapot's Top 20 action? I think so. I think so. Um, so let's do that let's take a very short break I'll play another promo um, for a show that I love and when we come back we will be counting down 15 through 11 on my top 20 of 2018 right back right after this are you terrified by real life us too you like horror movies us too then join maddie and andrew your co-host for a new podcast that explores horror in real life and horror in the movies and all with a fresh and fabulous gay perspective we are a proud member of the legion podcast network you can find us on itunes stitcher soundcloud and facebook or wherever your favorite podcasts are found we're friday the 13th Walter! Walter! Walter, soy Juan! Estás ahí, boludo, te escucho, estás ahí! Hey! Dale, boludo, te estoy escuchando, Soto, dale! Hey! ¿Podés parar de golpear la pared? Che, boludo, ¿podés dejar de golpear, boludo, que se escucha todo en mi casa? Cinco de la mañana, boludo, ¿qué te pensás? Te voy a mandar la cana, ¿eso querés? ¡Porro! El hijo de puta de tu vecino se pone a picar la pared a las cinco de la mañana. Clara, ¿sos vos? ¿Sos vos la que golpea? Clara. Number 15 on my list, uh, a movie that made its way all the way directly to Shudder as a Shudder exclusive after playing Fright Fest in London, which I did not see, Argentinian horror film called Terrified. Now I'd heard a lot of build up about this one, a lot of the press about it before it came out was, this movie will make you shit your pants, um, or words to that effect, I don't know if you can put that on uh, a poster, I think you should be able to, but I don't know if you can, uh, and I, I was very much getting ready to do the Robert Downey Jr. eye roll meme. Uh, oh, here we go. Um, and I sat down and watched it and fucking loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I feel so overcome with grief that this did not make my top 10 because this is a movie that any other year would definitely be in my top 10. It's directed by Damien Rugner um, and 
is a movie of really three, I was going to say three halves, it's really a three part story which each part is completely different. The opening 30 minutes of this movie have some of the best scares I've seen in horror movies in recent times. Like to the point that even actually made me apprehensive and at one point gave me a jump. It has a setup involving a, a camera um, in the house, kind of setting up to record the, the creakings in the house and all the rest, which is set up equally as good, not better, but equally as good as the scare in um, Exorcist 3. It's that good, it's that well done. Uh, the second kind of third of the movie really settles into a more Del Toro-esque sort of ghost-like story. A kind of South American ghost story, which I think is done really, really well. A really haunting image of a dead child, which kind of percolates through that bit, which I think is done incredibly well. And then the last third of the movie is fucking bonkers in a way that I loved. Just like really, really tongue in cheek, swinging for the fences, trying to give you a scare on a scare, um, setting up a kind of uh, people under the stairs sort of vibe in a way that I loved. And I thought it was great. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's a total thrill ride of a movie that you just really... It's like about an hour and a half long. Uh, and every half an hour it just went somewhere else. Um, some people have complained it's maybe a bit too scattershot. And maybe you're right about that one. I disagree. I think it had enough to keep my attention in each of the thirds um, of the movie. I think it's acted really, really well. I love the idea that the kind of cop aspect investigating this paranormal um, event that's happened and the, the spiraling the spiraling out from that including the kind of classic trope of the kind of post investigation uh, interview and try to well what happened at this point well that's just when the story kicked off and then we jump into the story kicking off I thought all that was done really 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 well yeah I think it's a fucking great movie I'd, like I say any other year Terrified would have rocketed on my list and been right near that top I think it deserves it demands conversation um and if you've not seen it, get yourself a Shudder account and watch it. It's, it's well worth the price of your Shudder account to check out. Shudder, to me, between Shudder and Netflix and um, in October this year really brought the spirit of Halloween where the cinema was too scared to put out any other movie but Halloween. I think the streaming sites really picked up the, the slack and ran with it to great effect. Um, so terrified, yeah, terrified makes my list. Oh, what? You think you're too good to talk to me now, Allison? Oh, my name's not Allison, but yeah. Yeah, I am too good to talk to you. Okay. Hey, bitch. Listen, when you fall asleep, I'm gonna cut your hair off. All of your hair. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. With what? They let you anywhere near shop objects? I doubt that very much. Oh, God, you're scaring me to death, you mental patient. <laughs> I'll be thinking about you when I'm back in my own bed, in my own house, getting ready to go to my own job. Which brings us to number 14, a movie that definitely was in my top 10. <laughs> oh, this was in my top 10 uh, until I started finalising my list yesterday. And then I, I cried a little bit because I fucking love this movie. I love it so much. I got it on Blu-ray recently as well and rewatched it and just loved it. 
I think it's great. I think it's absolutely great. Um, it's a little movie called Unseen, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Yes, Steven Soderbergh directed a horror movie. Um, with fucking amazing standout performances by uh, Joshua Leonard, who you will all know from The Blair Witch Project, who played Josh. Remember, Josh, Josh! That's him. Uh, and Claire Foy, who is fucking great in this movie. Like, really, really, really good in this movie. Um, and it's... It got a bit of attention because it was a movie all shot on iPhone. And this was what they were like, oh, Steven Soderbergh's made this movie after he said he was no longer making movies. Um, that you're going to find, oh, it's been shot on this iPhone as if this is this revolutionary technique from people that haven't seen things like Tangerine or Florida yet. Um, there are movies being made on iPhones, which as a gimmick would seem like you would maybe not want to watch it because it would be shitty looking or curiosity would take over. But when you watch... Um, like Tangerine which I think is a fucking incredible movie um, or Florida which I equally think is a really interesting movie and you switch on to this they're used for a completely different effect the the kind of coldness of the, the iPhone cinematography in this movie is brilliant it's intrusive it's up against characters faces in a way which feels like we're almost too close for comfort and the movie's name Unseen made me chuckle a little bit because obviously Unseen is the American release title for Tenebrae um, and it's brilliant, it's about this character who has been stalked by this guy who's now fled to another city, changed their identity and all the rest and um, starts to get this feeling that maybe things aren't great so she goes in for a free kind of psychiatric checkup and uh, gets held in and while she's being held in for evaluation she finds out that maybe she might be seeing the image of the guy that stalked her or maybe he is actually there. Maybe he has been intrusive in her life and maybe she's now trapped in a facility with the very person she is trying to be away from. Um, it's brilliant, it's wonderful, uh, the performances are great. I think the way it's set out as well, you do get that kind of is it, isn't it, is he, isn't he sort of thing for the first half of the movie and then the second half of the movie just gets kind of creepy. Um, I saw it in the cinema, I was overjoyed that I saw it in the cinema, I've now seen it on Blu-ray, love this movie, I think it's fucking great. It's a proper mystery horror movie in the best possible way with great performances and shot really well and maybe one of the best Steven Soderbergh films in quite some time. Um, so yeah, Unseen, which should be in my top 10, sadly isn't, comes in at number 14 for me. If you've not checked it out, check it out. Which swings us into number 13. Now, allow me to cheat so horribly that you will be outraged and throw something at your screen right now. Um, yeah, so number 13 is... I decided on my list I could only have one movie which had fish sex, for lack of a better term. And I really, really, really struggled with this. Really, really struggled with this. And I'm going to do something that I am not proud of right now. But I'm doing it. I'm doing it. It's my list. And I can't pick one. So I have to pick both. So at number 13 on my list, joint 13, is Cold Skin and The Shape of Water for completely 
different reasons. Now, bear with me. Outrage, roll it back in. Just keep it there. Just keep it. Just keep it sensible uh, until I finish. Cold Skin and The Shape of Water are two movies that come out by what I would consider really autistic directors, Avi Ergans, um, who is certainly finding his voice. He's done some great movies, he's done some not so great movies, if you know what I mean. Check out Crucifixion, which is a terrible movie from this year. Um, but then look at Frontiers, which is a fucking phenomenal movie. Um, and Guillermo del Toro, who won Best Picture for this. You know, he was, he was described as, um, you know, like basically... Gemmel del Toro getting this Oscar is the Oscars way of saying we should have given you this years ago but you've delivered a movie which I don't think is the best del Toro movie but I thought was phenomenal to look at it's a movie that is this big soapy hand job towards um, you know the movies of the 1930s 40s and 50s um, and whereas I think Cold Skin plays very much to this kind of the kind of background of almost those kind of siege movies in the 90s you know those kind of war siege movies whether it's uh, something like Last of the Mohicans or The Patriot or Braveheart or something like that it kind of plays in that level as well where you have these characters fighting uh, innumerable odds to try and to try and survive um, so both take their own stands on that whether it's Cold Skin or Shape of Water um, and they're very different movies very different movies The Shape of Water is a very heartwarming yet sinister bizarre little movie um, and Cold Skin is this very brutal sort of breakdown of isolation and man's cruelty uh, in a lot of respects and ability for compassion um, what you get with both these movies is incredible cinematography um, Cold Skin it has the 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 kind of has that cold sort of palette. It's greys, it's blues, it's it's blacks. It's it, you know it feels like a very cold movie. Um, the Shape of Water has all those colours that we would associate with if we could colourise universal horror movies then that's the colours they would be I think it's done really really well um, both have incredible performances from villains uh, Ray Stevenson in Cold Skin is phenomenal um, what's his face big buddy um, Michael Shannon in um, The Shape of Water both great villainous performances uh, both have wonderful scores as well Shape of Water has got a phenomenal score but the Cold Skin score should not be undermined it's got a really 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 powerful score which I think aids it um, the kind of use of fish people both brilliant and both I think the the, the actual prosthetic effects phenomenal um, in both movies so I think they're both in there they're two very different movies two very very different movies that weirdly come out in the same year that weirdly cover um, fish love whether it's a consensual or non-consensual, but it's in there, and I couldn't pick between the two. I'll be honest with you, if you force me with a gun to my head, I would say that The Shape of Water is the better movie, because um, I think Del Toro just is a master filmmaker, um, but I would feel horrible about putting that on my list and not cold skin so on some level it feels like a cop out but once again it's what I have a show for and you disagree please have your show um, but what I, I can't do is, is put out a list that don't have them both on it and as a result of that I will anger you by saying that the shape of water and cold skin hold joint 13 
on my list. Um, two very similar movies that couldn't be any more different if they tried. Number 13, Cold Skin and The Shape of Water. Jane? What? Hello? Hello? Jane, I can't hear you. Which brings us to number 12 on my list. Um, another movie that was scoring really, really high. First watch for me was during my 31 of October. Um, directed by a filmmaker who hadn't put out anything in a while. His last movie was The Tall Man. Uh, before that, he made a masterclass in uh, horror cinema, which was Martyrs. And it was his return to, to making movies. This is Pascal Logier's movie, Incident in a Ghostland. It was put out by Arrow Video on Blu-ray in the UK. I don't know who put it out in the US, but I got the Blu-ray and it lay there for a little while. And then eventually, I was like, that can program into 31 of October. Can't wait to do that. Sat down and watched it and was bludgeoned um, in all my senses by this movie it's a very uncomfortable very 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 nasty little movie um, to say the least that kind of plays as a a kind of martyr's light or a kind of um, a steroid version of the tall man it's kind of like a cross between those two movies um, and I saw a lot of hate for this movie. Like, a lot of people just saying, well, it's him just trying to remake Martyrs. I think if that's how what you saw when you saw this movie, you've missed out the, the point of what I think he's trying to do. Anyone that thinks that this is just an exercise in female torture um, is wrong, I think, to say the least. I think you should give a man credit who created such a dense, weaved tapestry of a, a horror story in Martyrs a little bit of credit that what you see on the surface of a Logier movie isn't necessarily what you're going to get. And I have very strong theories about what this movie actually is. Um, and I will eventually review this movie in full so I can get into my theories because I don't want to spoil things. All I'm going to say is that I think this movie very much like a movie like High Tension or Switchblade Romance to the UK listeners uh, or Hoyt Tension um, is this is a movie told by a untrusting um, misleading narrator. I think that what we see on screen is actually the tale from a book um, from our central character and everything on screen is not actually happening. It's the it's the the stories written in the book of a teenage girl who doesn't understand um, certain things, and that's why the kind of sexual content in the movie is kind of almost repressed in certain levels. It doesn't make sense. It's not how that sort of thing would actually happen. It's because it's been written by someone that doesn't understand the mechanics of rape. Um, now, I would say that no one should understand the mechanics of rape. It's a horrible thing to think about. But I think that's why it's in there. I also think it explains the over-the-top portrayal of the villains in here. It's almost as if it's coming from a kid's psyche of what monsters look like. Um, so that's my thoughts. My thoughts are what you see in this movie is actually not real. It's a story written in a book. And when you look at it from that aspect, I think the things that people can't get behind in the movie um, start to make sense. 
Um, and it gives the movie a bit more of a third dimension that I don't think people are giving it credit for. Um, it's an uncomfortable movie. It has some horrific scenes in it. Um, it forces you to watch horrible acts uh, you know, unfolding on women, which is why uh, Pascal, once again, is being hammered by people that are, are basically saying he's a misogynist who's only cared about hurting women in these movies. Um, like I say, I think, yeah, you could throw that on there, but I think there's dimensions behind this movie. And when you look into those dimensions and those subtexts and those sub-stories, that's when the movie becomes really interesting. And it's not all just about the uncomfortable super superficialities of the movie, which is certainly there for the viewer. Um, but when you start delving and start wading through uh, the, the darker parts of the movies, the, the kind of the stuff in the back, I think that's when Incident in a Ghostland becomes a wholly different watch, uh, specifically on a second watch, which I have done and I think you should as well. So, yeah, uh, it's a movie that is doing well on some lists, it didn't make other lists, but for me it landed in at number 12 strongly, Incident in a Ghostland. Hang on. Hi. Hi. Who are you? Uh, police. Did something happen? Oh, no, no, no. Luckily, nothing has, has happened as of yet. I understand that you're fond of shopping at Carlson's supermarket. Why, did something happen at Carlson's? No. Uh, however, we'd like to uh, prevent things from happening to uh, businesses in the vicinity, like Carlson's supermarket. Yeah, may, may, may I uh, come in? I'd like to see a police badge. Well, so would I. Unfortunately, that today is going to be a bit of a problem. Now, <clears throat> I can tell by your expression you think it's a bad thing that I don't have my police badge on me. Right. Well, I'm here to tell you that it's a, it's a good thing for the police department. And I'm not going to lie to you, okay? It also happens to be a good thing for me on a personal level. Yeah. You see my, my badge? It's um, at the silversmith. Yeah, it's at the, the silversmith there. They're shining it up and um, adding a few additional citations to it. I've been promoted. Okay. Right. So now you're, now, now what are you? Like what's your, what's your rank now? We're not at liberty to discuss that. Uh, that's considered classified information. However, I think this is safe to say that it, it's a considerable leap up the ladder. Uh, now, may I? No, not without a badge. Which brings us to number 11, the final movie on this part um, of my countdown. Uh, is a little movie called The House That Jack Built by Lars von Trier. Lars returning to the horror world with his first horror movie since Antichrist. <laughs> um, and it's no less weird, uh, if I'm honest. Uh, the movie central performance is Matt Dillon as Jack, a serial killer who is 
communicating with this voice in his head, a Verge, played by Bruno Ganz, who talks us through uh, ostensibly five different killings um, over the course of 12 years and his his ascension to creating this piece of art in his head that he feels that he, he needs to portray on the world. Um, this movie, to me, once again, any other year is a top 10. Uh, it slipped out because I have a couple of complaints about it. One of the complaints, the biggest complaint is that because it's Lars von Trier and he is, you know, highly highly up his own arse in a way which I get behind filmmakers are allowed to do that um, we call them auteurs um, but at times they they have no one reigning in and in the house that Jack built um, there's about half an hour of footage of conversations about art and the expression of art which or the analysis of art uh, which I think are just a bit too long uh, this is a movie that's two and a half hours long that at two hours I think would be perfect length um, and it's weird this one is, is darkly funny in a way that made me uncomfortable to laugh at it shows images of I mean give Von Trier's credit if he does death you're going to see that fucking death in all its horrible glory on the screen and the version I saw was cut by about what two three minutes which I'm going to put down to probably his death um, and mutilation but yeah, it was dark, it was funny, it was gory. Um, I think Matt Dillon's maybe his best performance ever. Uh, some of the characters on screen, great. I, I mean, there is so much subtext in here, it's dripping out, and we could spend an entire show analysing it, and I still don't think we would do justice to it. Um, suffice to say, I think it's a great serial killer film, and a year where we got some great serial killers uh, films, which we are going to talk about in the intermission when I shout out my special honourable mentions and um, shock you all when you find out what movies didn't make my top 20 list at all. Um, but yeah, this has been a great year for serial killer movies and The House That Jack Built tops that list. There are very few movies that deliver a kind of realistic portrayal of what a serial killer is actually like at the fundamental core um, on screen, but doing it at an elevated level like Lars von Trier can do. I think it is a, it is a great movie. It has a wonderful soundtrack. It's shot beautifully um, and gives you a character that at one point is completely reprehensible. At the same time, you weirdly want to see who he kills next. It's, it's so bizarre. It's kind of like an, a, an artistic... It's like, imagine um, an art historian remaking fucking American Psycho and all those conversations of Hugh Lewis in the news are replaced by conversations on Blake's poetry and paintings. Um, and that's kind of where you land with a house that Jack built. Uh, at the fucking great movie that I, I, I dearly, dearly loved uh, at the cinema. Um, making its way to Blu-ray in the next couple of months, actually, and I'll pick it up then because I want to re-watch. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was great. I thought it was a great movie. And like I said, many times already in this back back 10 here. In any other year, this is a top 10 movie. But in 2018, 2018 gave so much that this one lands at number 11. So there we go. So let's let's count that down again. So at number 20, Anna and the Apocalypse. Number 19 is Overlord. Number 18 is Erementari, The Blacksmith and the Devil. Number 17 is Mum and Dad. Number 16 is Apostle. 
15 is terrified, 14 is unsane, 13 is a cross between cold skin and the shape of water. That's a joint villain that I will not have anyone argue with because it's my fucking show. Number 12 is Incident in a Ghostland and number 11 is the house that Jack built. So there we go, that's us counted down the back 10. 10 movies still to go. The top 10 horror movies as rated by podcast Under the Stairs in 2018 is upcoming. I'm going to take a very short break, uh, but when I return, we're going to finish off um, a little conversation that I think we need to have when talking about 2018. We're going to delve into honourable mentions, some of the highlights for me out with um, horror cinema that landed this year. Um, and then we'll swing back in with some more top um, top reviews from me. 10 through 6 of my top 20. And then uh, bring in the remainder of your um, your top 5's top 10 lists. And then close out with 5 through 1. Are you excited? I'm excited. Uh, let's bring some music in though. No promos here. A little bit of music. And then we will have a little heart to heart. We need to talk about 2018 ladies and gents. We need to talk about 2018 right up, right after this. Just like nobody but my, 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 just like n
And welcome back. So I suppose we should just get this conversation going. Um, 2018 as a whole. Now, there will be some obvious notable um, exclusions to the top 20 list. And that's purely because there's 20 movies to play with. And of horror titles that came out this year, I watched approximately 92. So 92 2018 horror title releases um, for the UK, stress that. So some of them technically class as 2017 releases in the States. Um, And looking through your lists, there were some titles that started making appearances which are clearly not on my list. So I suppose we should get to them first and foremost. So um, you will notice on my list, there is no The Ritual. That's not because I disliked The Ritual, but it was released in the UK in a cinematic run in 2017. So, didn't make my list. Um, Also, while we're at it, a little movie which I have seen and I have reviewed because I've got a screener for it. The Clove Hitch Killer. Loved that movie. Absolutely loved that movie. It's not officially been released in the UK yet though, so once again, excluded from the list. So, kind of feel a bit bummed out about that one as well. Um, Whilst we're at it, Uh, We should also talk about, just in general, some of the big ones that didn't make it. So, you are probably sitting saying, Duncan must have really liked that Halloween movie. Duncan did really like that Halloween movie. That new Halloween movie did not crack my top 20. Um, Now, you may be gobsmacked at this point. You may be outraged. Your device may have been thrown across the room. Don't throw your device. You need that device to listen to podcasts under the stairs. As good as it was, and it was good... Um, I somehow fall in the middle of the fence on that one. So there are the people that absolutely adore it uh, for what it is. And there are people that have serious issues with that movie. And I kind of fall in the middle. Um, I think it's a great little movie. I don't think it's anything spectacular. I don't think it's anything um, on the levels of what I think the movies that have made my list are doing. If that makes sense. Um, it's not my sort of franchise, people know that, I'm not a big fan of the Halloween franchise and whilst I did like certain aspects of it, there are other aspects I wasn't too keen on um, and on the rewatch, well you heard me and Andy Blockley talk about it and you've heard me and the Bass talk about it I think it's a, it's a solid entry into the franchise, it just isn't top 20 material for me at all Now that being said, I did see that at the cinema and it was a great cinematic experience for me. I really, really enjoyed seeing it both times in the cinema. Halloween was, it felt like an event, like an event piece of cinema for me. Another movie that didn't make my list and has scored really high, this should be no surprise to anyone that listened to me and Bo talk about it, A Quiet Place did not make my top 20. I would argue though that Quiet Place was probably one of the best cinematic experiences I had watching a horror movie this year. I've never been in a packed cinema where no one made a sound. Like, everyone sat, like, shushed in, in pure silence during that movie, barring a couple of jump scares, which, you know, got people screaming and, uh, and popcorn lifting off the ground. But to me, it's not a top 20 movie. I thought it was well-directed, well-acted. To me, it's the, the essence of a B-movie that's been given a bigger budget. But at the same time, though, the more I think about the movie, the more I, I start to... And you could do it with any movie, but the more I started to find little holes in it, that kind of just started to hurt my brain. So, whilst it's a great one, had I extended this list out to a list of top 25 movies, uh, both uh, A Quiet Place and Halloween would have definitely been there. would have definitely been in that list. Um, speaking of The Clove Hitch Killer, um, another uh, phenomenal 
watch for me in the serial killer because serial killer movies came back in a big way this year the house at jackpill is obviously the top tier one for me but clovich killer is right behind it it's a, a bloody brilliant movie which i really like how it plays with your concept of narrative uh, storytelling i loved um the actual like spending a bit of time with the serial killer himself uh, i thought all that was really really cool and dylan mcdermott's brilliant in it but summer of 84 was one that i really hoped would make my top 20 I love RKSS. I think they're a really interesting collective of filmmakers. I love the turn in that movie. Such a wicked twist at the end. Well, not twist, reveal, so to speak. But the way they finished it was so strong and so dark and in a way that I just, I couldn't help but smile. Like, I really, really genuinely thought it was brilliant. Um, but when it came to do this top 20 list, once again, what do I sacrifice to put that movie in? And genuinely... Up until to recording today, my list was still changing and we know what it's like. We'll finish, we'll put our, our list out and next week I'll be like, should I have scored that movie so high? You know, should Anna and the Apocalypse made my top 20? I don't know. I don't know if it should have, but I kind of feel comfortable that it's there. I kind of feel justified that it's there and I, I don't know how comfortable or justified I'd feel with, you know, Summer of 84 being in there and Anna and the Apocalypse not. I mean, Shudder was awesome this year. Shudder, it's taken me a long time to get into Shudder. I've had my membership for it since it started in the UK. I have watched a handful of films on it, and most of them this year, to be honest. I think um, where it really kind of hit home that Shudder was was bringing something fresh to the table was in October uh, with a trio of releases which I thought were brilliant. One of them obviously in my my, my top 20 is Terrified. Um, these two movies did not make my top 20 but I think are, are just equally fucking great. Uh, Satan Slaves I think is a, a brilliant movie and Satan Slave is probably the one I feel most guilty about not being in my top 20. I, I, I do think it's a top 20 movie. Um, and Witching the Window, which I didn't expect to enjoy as much as I did, but I really, really liked that movie. I thought I had some of the most um, genuine on-screen performances I saw this year, and I thought the, the narrative um, for it was really... It's a, a kind of story we've seen before, but it was done in such a pure and honest way that I really got behind it, so I, I, I loved that. Um, Netflix, Netflix nailed it this year, like totally nailed it this year. Yes, you could argue that they had that, was it Our House or whatever it was, movie at the start of the year, which was pretty awful. Um, but I, I want to say that they came back super strong. I think when you look at some of the titles that made their way to uh, directly to Netflix, whether it is something like Apostle, which I, I thought was brilliant, Calibre, which didn't make my list, and I mean, I, I can feel a bit more comfortable with that. I would maybe lean Calibre slightly more towards thriller than I would horror. Um, but I thought Calibre was a fucking great movie. Scottish movie, makes me proud. Um, that sort of thing. I also feel that Hold the Dark, which was the new Jeremy Sonye movie, I feel I should like that movie a lot more than I do. I really think that I'm missing out on something. Uh, my best friend Dave loved that movie and is boggled by my stance on it because he just he's like me he's a bit of a, a Sonya fan and he's like you should just I don't understand why you don't like certain things certain bits of the narrative did not connect with me at all um, I've tried watching it a second time and 
to be honest, I liked it a little less on the second watch as well. I think it's a bit baggy. I think as a movie, there's a bit too much dead air in there that needs to be trimmed. Um, I've never read the book. I heard that the book explains a bit more. So maybe there's a, a lost in translation factor. And I've read many Reddit threads of people telling you what certain things in the movie mean, but it just doesn't... At the end of it, I, I feel that me having to do so much research and to find it, and then possibly maybe it works isn't enough for me in that movie. I mean, it's beautifully shot and wonderfully acted um, and quite gripping in places, but to me, it just it didn't land top 20 material, which, you know, is the, is the way I look at it. But when you spin it out even further, I think when you look at some of the, the true crime horror stuff uh, on Netflix in the documentary category, there are some really, really horrific things in there but then you move into the TV world now I've still to watch House on Haunted Hill and trust me there's no one more upset about that than I um, I've been holding off on it because I want to watch it with the wife um, and we both have different viewing patterns that to try and get us to watch any one programme together is not easy but I look at something that shouldn't have been good which I loved was Sabrina the Teenage Witch this year a, a TV show and you're probably rolling your eyes on this if you've not watched it you don't know what I'm on about a show that tackles Satanism uh, cannibalism, necrophilia <laughs> um, it's all in that show and it's done quite dark, there's some episodes in that show that are super fucking dark um, and I really really liked that, really enjoyed the way they leaned into that and I kind of think that they have found their own voice now, genre wise they're getting guys in to do it, Apostle you know, they're going to get that guy in to do some, they're going to get Mike Flanagan in to do some stuff, it's an exciting time to be a genre fan and have so many different so many different entities at your disposal. I mean, Suspiria, a movie we will talk about fairly soon. Um, that's got Amazon money behind it. Amazon financed that movie. That's fucking great. I want to see companies that can afford to take risks on getting auteur cinema um, you know, makers in there to, to do their thing because they've got plenty of money to shelf around. They've got plenty of other products bringing in the cash and that's where I think we're maybe lacking on the horror side just a little bit is some studios taking some risks. A24 certainly take risks, there's no there's no dispute in that and they're rewarded most of the time for it. I'd like to see more studios like a studio that puts out something like A Quiet Place which cleans up at the box office. I want to see a, a riskier, more indie themed and styled horror movie put out by them you know give it a bit of cash if it doesn't make its money back then you know you've been offset by the more than adequate amount of money that a movie like A Quiet Place has made so I think that that hangs there as well so yeah so if you're looking for Summer of 84 or The Clovitch Killer Satan's Slaves Witch in the Window or You Might Be the Killer a movie which I saw really towards the end of the year and I loved it so much a kind of goofy kind of horror comedy slasher kind of reminded me of Final Girls but a bit more vicious um, or it's like A Quiet Place or Halloween Caliber Hold the Dark and you look and you say why are these movies not on your top 20 list Duncan well trust me there's no one more pained that they aren't there's no one that would have been more happy had they not but if you swing all those movies in we're almost in a top 30 by that point and as much as I wanted keep doing these episodes and expanding them out there is a certain point where I think top 20 is too much info I think I should only be doing a top 10 but then I feel guilty that I'm missing out movies and there has to be a line in the sand somewhere um, 2018 was a phenomenal year for horror like a phenomenal year in horror I almost saw one horror title sometimes two 
at the cinema every month of the year. And I can't think of any other time that's happened. And it's going to continue on. Um, the TV world is, is dominating things, whether it's um, something like Channel Zero, which is still putting out things. Uh, the Walking Dead, which is clinging on. <laughs> you know, with, with death grips to, to make its way through. Or something like The Terror, which was critically well received, but didn't get its audience base. The Terror is a phenomenal TV show, which is the epitome of everything I love about the genre. Dark, gloomy, moody, long, drawn out character study, paranoia, it's like the thing on a boat and stuck in Antarctica. I think it's, I thought it was great. We had so many different avenues and so many different places to go down that it's difficult to argue that this year isn't the best in a long, long time. And we're swinging into a year which 2019 has got already a couple of phenomenal titles coming, but one of the highest grossing horror movies of all time is It, and we're about to get the sequel this year. We're about nine months away from it landing, and if you don't think that that's going to break records, then your head is in the sand. That movie is going to smash records, whether it's good or not, it will do it. It will do the business. And We've got Jordan Peele coming back to do his next one. And Us looks fucking great. It looks really skin crawlingly creepy. Pet Cemetery, we've got that coming. We've got the Doctor Sleep, Mike Flanagan coming back. We've got another King one coming out towards the end of the year. Its name escapes me. Um, we've got Nosferatu, uh, the Joe Hill novel being adapted, uh, and it will be out next year. Well, this year. We've got so much stuff coming, and I'm excited. I can't wait. And that's the stuff we know about. It's always the stuff that we don't know about that I get really giddy about. That's the stuff that I really get excited. The stuff that comes from left field um, and leaves me just kind of dumbstruck. Uh, you know, just like eager and willing to check out more. And I cannot wait. We have, we, we're on the precipice of something awesome. I think we're going to close out this decade with like so much top tier horror that I think it will be difficult to argue 10 years from now that the 2010s were maybe the best decade in horror. I know it's a bold statement to say but the evidence is there man. Start looking back over it and, and, be, and be in awe of the, the the rich bounty of horror titles we've had just in the last five years. Um, it's incredible. It really, really, really is. The five years... I, I, mean, I mean, I'm more excited than anyone because this podcast is five years old um, and I think we've been operating in maybe the best five years of horror consecutively that we've had in several decades. So, yeah, I, I mean, stick along. Keep on with the ride here because things are just going to get crazy as we move on and who knows, who knows what's coming next? No one. Um, right, we'll take another break. When we come back, we're going to rattle through the remaining uh, listener top tens, top fives, whatnot, uh, and then we're going to we're going to bring it home powerfully with our, our remaining ten movies, the top ten horror movies of 2018, coming up from the podcast under the stairs right after this. This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, LegionPodcasts.com, The Psychosemantic Podcast. And welcome back. So the next one comes in from our good buddy Liam Rafferty from Scotland Liam vs. Evil. Now, I will say this. If you're a Scotland Liam fan, they are about to launch their episode uh, this week. Um, same week as me doing their list. 
So if you do not want to know what Liam's list is, then skip ahead about two minutes in the podcast, right? You listening to me? If you do not want to know what Liam Rafferty's list is, skip ahead two minutes in the podcast starting now. Liam's top ten are number ten, Incident in a Ghostland. Number nine, Mum and Dad. Number eight, Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich. Number seven, Pie Wacket. Number six, Elementary. Number five, Mandy. Number four, Ghost Stories. Number three, Hereditary. Number two, Tigers Are Not Afraid. And number one is A Quiet Place. Let's go back over that. Liam's list, number ten, Incident in a Ghostland. Nine, Mum and Dad. Eight, Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich. Seven, Pie Wacket. Six, Elementary. Five, Mandy. Four, Ghost Stories. Three, Hereditary. Two, Tigers Are Not Afraid. And one, A Quiet Place. Thank you very much for submitting that list, Liam. I have submitted my list to you, good sir, and I look forward to hearing what your listeners and myself marry up on when you do your one. And everyone should be checking out Scott and Liam vs. Evil. You've heard me talk about it so much. Please, take a bit of time, go across, show those guys some love. Legitimately my favourite podcast out there on the internet doing horror movie reviews. Scott and Liam vs. Evil! Love them! Right, now that we've got that out of the way, hopefully you're back. Hopefully everyone's back who skipped ahead. Um, and you're back to listen to this bit. Let's continue on. So the next list came in from Gav Taylor. Long-time listener Gav Taylor wrote, Hi Duncan, here are my top fives of the year. This year has killed it with such a variety of film styles and themes and choosing some sort of order for my top five has been difficult. I have decided on. At number five in Gav's list is Terrified. Number four is Mandy. Number three is Incident in a Ghostland. Number two is A Quiet Place. And number one is Hereditary. It says, congratulations on another fantastic year and I look forward to the year ahead. Cheers, Gav. So on Gavin's list, five, Terrified. Four, Mandy. Three, Incident in a Ghostland. Two, A Quiet Place. And one was Hereditary. Uh, Switching up, Matt Miller got in touch and he said hey Duncan I was thinking about this for a while and though I feel like I've watched a lot of horror movies from this year many of them were of an older vintage and then I missed a few of the major headliners like Hereditary, the new Suspiria reimagining, oh and that little Halloween movie. I don't think Suspiria has even made it to the cinemas in Japan where I live. Anyway to cut a long story short here are my top five. Um, At number five A Quiet Place. At number four Incident in a Ghostland at number three, Annihilation. And number two, You Were Never Really Here. Number one was Mandy. And he says, A few other titles that didn't quite make the cut, arbitrary as it may well be, include Ghost Stories, Revenge, and Cam. Also, Satan Slays would be right up there, but I believe is a 2017 movie. Thank you very much for submitting that in, Matt. Um, you Were Never Really Here is my favourite movie of the year. Uh, no joke, no shit, Sherlock. It is my favourite movie of the year. I just don't consider it horror. I would love to bring it in my horror list. I'm glad it's in your list and I'm glad that you feel that way because I think it is really is just Lynn Ramsey, a tour de force fucking amazing cinema uh, and Joaquin Phoenix, maybe my favourite performance of him. Just incredible, incredible film. But it just doesn't doesn't make my, my list at all, I'm afraid. Um, and Saint Slay's probably is a 2017 title from Japan standards. Uh, so I think you're probably right in doing that so just a quick reminder Matt Miller's list 5 A Quiet Place 4 Incident in a Ghostland 3 is Annihilation 2 You Were Never Really Here and 1 was Mandy Andrew Valdez is up next he says here we go at number 5 Marrowbone 
US release 2018. They saw this during my 31 of October enjoyed this dark thriller. Number 4, Annihilation, a strong ensemble cast, one of the most visually impressive films I saw this year. The first part of the movie reminded me of Alien from 1979, the second half had an under the skin vibe that I enjoyed a lot. 3, The Little Girl Who Was Too Fond of Matches, I raved about how much I loved this movie when I watched it as part of my Halloween movies, a gothic beautiful movie. I don't think I've seen that one Andrew so I'll need to get my finger out on this one. Uh, number two, Unseen, this twisted, twisted film about a woman who's put in a situation where she can't trust anyone including herself. The movie came out at the beginning of the year and perhaps why so many people have forgotten about it. Not me, Andrew, I remembered. Uh, number one, November, I saw no film that was as strange or as beautiful as November. The black and white photography enhances this dark fairy tale like capturing a dream on film. November gets released in the UK this year. Um, so I'm kind of hoping to check that one out. If it's half as good as you um, and Tim Walker have been telling me, then I cannot wait to fucking watch it. Speaking of Tim Walker, strap yourselves in ladies and gents who wrote, Hey Duncan, here's my top 20. I've seen so many this year, seriously about 400 movies that I got a lot of recommendations. Five movies doesn't seem like enough. So we'll go from 20 down so he's got at number 20 a quiet place number 19 the mouse number 18 the night eats the world 17 november 16 black hollow cage 15 the house that jack built 14 apostle 13 tumble bad which i don't think has been released in the uk yet i, I know everyone was watching it on prime but i couldn't find it uh, 12 suspiria 11 overlord 10 terrified 9 was hereditary Eight was The Ritual, I've already said that's a 2017 title for the UK. Uh, seven was The Lodgers. Six, Incident in a Ghostland. Five, Into the Forest or Dan's Le Forêt. Uh, four was Maraborn. Three was Mandy. Two was Erementari, The Blacksmith and the Devil. And number one was Cold Skin. He goes on to write... Some might think some of these don't qualify as horror, like November, Tumbad and Elementary, which were dark fairy tales with horror elements. I thought they had some cool looking monsters and some tension throughout, so they passed the horror test. Elementary and Tumblebad reminded me a lot of Guillermo uh, del Toro uh, movies, by the way. Tumblebad was on Prime for literally two days before it got pulled. Not sure why, but I did see it, so I'm counting it as a 2018 movie. It'll probably get some wider and permanent release in 2019. Give it a try if you see it. No offence to Bollywood films, but Tumblebad was by far the most impressive of their usual fare. There was a lot of hidden gems for this year. For example, Into the Forest. It's a French movie, not the one with Ellen Page from a couple of years ago. It's a slow burn psychological horror movie, and I get why people haven't seen it. It's French, there's no hype, and even the plot description on IMDb, Amazon, etc., doesn't make it sound like a horror film. I definitely got a good night mummy vibe from it. Uh, it's really good, so give it a try. I will as soon as I find it. Tim, I'm on that one. Uh, so many solid horror movies for this year. According to my letterbox list, I have 90 plus movies with at least three stars. To be fair, some of them are there just barely, but there was plenty of four and five star flicks. I'd like to give a focus on the positive, but just in case you are wondering, my bottom three were Tragedy Girls. Don't get me started about how much I hate that movie. Seriously, don't. Mon 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 Monsters, a real turd called Cynthia. Uh, just like the ones on the top of my list, my favourites are not necessarily the best, but they weren't the worst. But they show up um, the worst viewing experience for me, aka my least favourites. 
The garbage that shows up on Amazon Prime looks like it's worth a shot. It looks like it has been shot in an iPhone in someone someone's backyard with their neighbourhood friends are the worst. Those movies are so bad. I immediately forget about the titles just because they aren't worth a second thought. And remember the ones that I had some hope for uh, and would be good for whatever reason. I hate horrendous characters, dialogue, plot and contrivances, etc. Anyway, back to the positives. In all seriousness, I think 2018 was one of the strongest years in horror history. Many disagree, and that's fine, but I suspect they might be focusing on theatrical releases, which I thought there were several strong ones, and American English-speaking movies primarily. To me, a movie is a movie. I don't care if it's from Estonia, like November, India, like Tumbad, or somewhere else. I feel sorry for people that don't watch movies because they don't like subtitles or missing out on some great stuff. I didn't have any particular high expectations for 2018 at this time last year and I was pleasantly surprised. As I recall, Into the Forest, The Ritual and Before I Wake got releases in the first couple of weeks of January. I hope that'll happen again. Here's hoping that 2019 will be strong. So a very quick reminder, Tim Walker's top 20. At 20, A Quiet Place, 19, The Mouse, 18, the Night Eats the World, 17 November, 16 Black Hollow Cage, 15 The House of Jackville, 14 Apostle, 13 is Tumbad, 12 Suspiria, 11 Overlord, 10 Terrified, 9 Hereditary, 8 The Ritual, 7 The Lodgers, 6 is Incident to a Ghostland, and um, its top 5 were Into the Forest at 5, 4 was Marabone, 3 was Mandy, 2 was Erementari, and 1 was Cold Skin. Almost at the end of the listener ones here, so let's swing it to Jerry Cortes, who says, uh, Cortez, sorry, Jerry Cortez, uh, can't speak. Uh, he says, here you go, Hereded- uh, Cargo at number five, Terrified at number four, three was Mandy, two was A Quiet Place, and Hereditary was number one. Um, so that was from Jerry Cortez, who is a host on the Horrorcast, Rad Radio, No More Room in Hell, Theme Warriors, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, and Beneath the Zenith. That was his top five. Five Cargo, four Terrified, three Mandy, two A Quiet Place and one Hereditary. Will McMurchie says, Season greetings Duncan and I hope you have a good start to the new year. 2018 has been an awesome year for horror and hopefully 2019 will surpass this. He says, my top five, list of the best. He says, at number five was Piwacket. I loved the debate about was this actually a witch story or whether it was about someone with mental health difficulties. I came down on the former. Four was Mandy. Didn't like it this first watch but it stayed in my head and I was compelled to watch it a second and third. For a two plus hour film, that's unheard for me. Got better each time I rewatched it and now I love it. Number three, A Quiet Place. A stunning B-movie from Jim Halpert's first film as... As a dad, the scene where he dropped the axe, signing to his daughter he's always loved her when she thought he hadn't, and then proved uh, by screaming to save his kids at the expense of his own choked me up. That doesn't happen often. Number two, Summer of 84. This struck all sorts of nostalgic buttons for me, and that ending, wow. Number one, Possum. Not only my best of the year, but it's probably on my favourite films of all time list. Everything about this film is exceptional. Films without a clear narrative don't always hit with me and although it's very bleak, I could happily watch this film on a regular basis and get more of it each time. Uh, Happy New Year to you and your listeners and keep up the good work. So Will's List at number 5, Piwacket at number 4, Mandy. Number 3 was A Quiet Place, 2, Summer of 84 and 1 was Possum. Which leaves our last one, Andrew Hotstra, he says... 
Ooh, number five is The Ritual. Number four is A Quiet Place. Number three is Annihilation. Number two is Halloween. Number one is Hereditary. He put a little asterisk to say, have not seen Suspiria yet, but I get a feeling it would make it on my list. So Andrew's list, five, The Ritual, four, A Quiet Place, three, Annihilation, two, Halloween, and at one, Hereditary. Can I just take a couple of seconds to thank Andrew, Will, Jerry, Tim, Andrew, Matt, Gav, Rob, Abraham, Matt, Michael, Derek, Jamie, David, Kate, Brett, Tony, George, Matt and of course my good buddy Liam uh, as well as Mark for dropping in with their their lists. I, I mean you went above and beyond, you answered the call and uh, I'm, I'm kind of awestruck by how many we got in uh, and what you notice is so diverse these lists. Yeah there are several titles that keep popping up but we are like going everywhere with these lists. We're getting some titles that are very much the mainstream, some titles that are very much not the mainstream. And all the different avenues that these films have come in from, I think is really a good indication of how diverse and varied this year in horror was. Uh, it's kind of awesome. But I've kind of teased your nipples quite a bit now. It's time to bring the hammer down uh, and start with my top 10. Are you ready, ladies and gents? Because this movie made number 10 on my list. So yeah, number 10 on my list, another Glasgow Fright Fest viewing, but it made its way to Netflix on the same day, and what was interesting about that is me, Scott and Liam were all watching that movie, fine well known that it was on Netflix that day, and as soon as we came out, we were like, watch this movie. We just started like telling everyone to, to go and check it out, and universally, it seems to have done really, really well. Um, zombie movies... Like, Cargo didn't make my list, right? I can I can spring that out just now. I, I thought Cargo was really, really great, and I thought it was heartwarming and all the rest. Um, but to me, uh, Ravenous, a.k.a. Les, Les Amifé, um is just amazing. Like, absolutely amazing. It was heartwarming, it was dark, it was gritty. Um... It's this French-Canadian zombie movie, which, yeah, doesn't bring anything particularly new to the plate, but what it does is do everything really fucking well. And I think that's the, the difference. I, I think there's... 
a, a viewpoint which people have when it comes to zombie movies that can we squeeze any more life out this dead zombie um, and all the different angles that we're going for I think it's how people try and put a spin on something so of all these of the dead movies that come out um, where we're I mean I'm going to see one tomorrow I'm going to see one cut of the dead um, are all people trying to take their own swing or their own spin on it that I think at times the movies that stand out to me in the in the zombie genre are the ones that just do it right. So I think of kind of recent memory, something like The Battery, which is a movie I hold in a very high regard, especially in this genre, isn't a movie that is really pushing the envelope in the way zombies are shot. It just focuses on the character study. Uh, Ravenous kind of focuses on the character study. It's weird. It's trippy. Um, it leaves a lot of questions unanswered, and I kind of love that about it. Um, I thought just it, it didn't spare no expense the gore is, is is very visceral and I thought the acting was of an incredibly high standard it was a really kind of harrowing story at times and a really optimistic story at times and those end credits I, I said it before nothing made me smile more um, than the kind of post credit sequence in this movie which forced a group of cinema goers to stare at the cinema screen watching a group of zombies stare at a tower of chairs um, and I thought this guy this filmmaker here has with this final scene recreated exactly what he has on the screen but with lucid cinema goers that uh, kind of struck a genius it really made me laugh and really made me smile um, it was such a fucking good movie one of the best I saw at Glasgow Fright Fest and I am overjoyed that it cracked my top 10 list. I haven't seen this movie since March and re-watching it uh, three weeks ago, I was just floored by by how powerful it is and so glad that Netflix gave it the platform to shine on. So at number 10 for me is Ravenous, a.k.a. Les Athemi. There we go. So let's take a look at number 9. The legs are impressive. What exactly is it? It's a puppet. You show that to children. I'm destroying it. Even the head? Few cinema experiences for me are as dark, as nihilistic, as weird and unsettling as Possum was. Um, directed by Matthew Holness, direct, uh, well, the guy behind Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Um, Possum is, to me, a tour de force of cinema. Like, really, really is. If Tony Collette was one of the best, well, it was the best female performance in a horror film in 2018, then Sean Harris performance and possum is the best male performance in a horror movie this year hands down no fucking argument here um this movie is wonderfully bleak um devoid of joy in pretty much every capacity but so well constructed so well crafted so wonderfully put together that i sat transfixed to the screen from start to finish when it had its cinematic run uh, back in, I want to say it was November I saw this movie. I 
had all these ideas of where I thought this movie was going, the, the psychology of it, the, the wounded nature, the imagery, uh, and some of the imagery in this movie is downright fucking skin crawling. I thought this movie was incredible, like absolutely incredible. I can't wait to own this movie. I've heard some people say they don't really know what's happening in the movie. That's fine. Um, I heard a certain podcast out there who shall remain nameless uh, try to talk about how bad this movie was when the person who said how bad it was or how much he wasn't into it walked out. I don't think you can do that. You're not allowed to criticise a movie you didn't finish. So, yeah, bad form on that particular person. Maybe you know who I'm on about, but I don't want to start any podcast beefs. Um, it is not a cheery movie. And I don't think... Oh, I think horror can have cheesy movies, but I think horror has a place to make us question the psychology, make us feel uncomfortable about ourselves, and make us deal with weird imagery, and Possum does it all. It is a movie which really got under my skin for several days after watching it, and I think it's, I thought it was fucking brilliant. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um... It's not got a huge audience, I would imagine. And <laughs> uh, once again, it's probably one that I'm going to swing to the fences harder than a lot of people. But I tell you right now, in terms of experiences you'll never forget, you'll never forget watching Possum, ever. It's a movie that stays with you. Um, in a lot of the same ways that a movie like Killing of a Sacred Deer stuck with me for days, months, weeks, and I can still remember vividly huge sections of that movie. I can remember pretty much all of Possum and I watched it two months ago so I know that movie inside out and I've only ever seen it once a fucking great movie and I can't wait to see where Matthew Holness goes next um, I think he's going to be a really important voice in horror and yeah bring more of it I know people are wanting the comedy and the humour of Garth Marenghi and I, I, I do too but if he wants to keep doing this then bring it on that's all I can say I'm, I'm very much in the mood for more Possum like Horror. So Possum was number nine on my list. Looking at Terrell's hack, 142,000 downloads. That's like three times the size of Salem. Oof. I'm sorry, but I just don't have like any sympathy for people that get their shit hacked. For real? Yeah, I mean, there's two types of people in this world, you know? Like the people that have come to terms with privacy is just dead. And like, you know, then there's the old people that are still trying to fight it. I guess. I mean, the internet is amazing. Like, this guy in Minnesota, he's like 42, whatever. But basically, he subscribed to my Amazon wish list, and now, legit, he just buys me shit all the time. Why? I don't know. I guess he just really likes my Insta, you know? Like, he likes that I'm really real, and, like, I'm cool, and, you know, I'm a free soul. <laughs> it's really sad, because basically 90% <laughs> of people are just so sad and lonely and, like, have such an unfulfilling life. <laughs> If I'm, like, inspiring people, you know, and my life is so cool and, like, people connect with me on such a level, then, like, basically my job for the day is done. But what's that got to do with people's shit getting hacked? Oh, hold on. I gotta get this. Hi, baby. Bye, baby. Um, okay. <laughs> come here. Come here, come here. Mm. I love a little princess Leia here. Right, on to number eight in the list. This is the controversial one. This is what the one where people will get annoyed. And it's already graced at least two lists uh, submitted to me, but I am swinging to the fucking fences for this movie. This, to me, 
is horror, right? There are there are sections in this movie that's not horror all the way through, but in a year where people are classing that Tragedy Girls is a horror movie, then if you're going to go ahead and say the Tragedy Girls are a horror movie, then there is absolutely no way that you can say Assassination Nation is not a horror movie. Let me state my case for you. So we have Sam Levinson directs this movie, which I personally think is incredibly prescient, right? Its it's finger is so on the pulse at the moment that it means five years from now it will be heavily, heavily dated. Now you can use that as a sideswipe against it and to be honest with you, I think that's maybe fair but I think occasionally movies capture as a snapshot where society is and I think Assassination Nation does it really well. It's hyper-stylized to a point of almost nausea and it wears its influences so clearly on its sleeve. This movie is taken directly from De Palma. We have De Palma colour schemes, we have De Palma uh, split screen sequences that are all married up. The, the visual eye of our cinematography of De Palma is on display in this movie. Not only do we have that though, but we have Tarantino esque attitude. The end of this movie is akin to something like Death Proof or maybe even Kill Bill and the way it kind of stretches your belief in what a person's capability and the violence he can deal out having no formal training so to speak would come from. Um, so that is definitely in there. It very much reminded me of Death Proof, the second half of Death Proof anyway towards the end of this movie. This movie references to fuck are gentle and that's where I got a stiff dick watching it <laughs> like really that's where I was like this is fucking amazing not only does this movie open with um, the Ariel Morricone song uh, for Bird with the Crystal Plumage right so it's straight away it's like that I know who Argento is and I know what Bird with the Crystal Plumage is hi um, which instantly gets my like attention going but this movie um, has elements which are very Argento-like. Um, there is a home invasion sequence which I believe one of the, the reviewers earlier on said was one, you know, one of these incredible kind of takes. It goes on for about 10 minutes and the shot is outside the house travelling from room to room and following characters move around. Uh, it feels like it's done in one shot. It's probably not. It's probably just very carefully edited to feel like a one-shot sequence that isn't. Um, and what I will say about it is that it reminded me so much of Tenebrae. I mean, you're watching this, it felt like Tenebrae. It's gory, it's vicious, it's violent. Yes, it takes about 45 minutes to kick off. It's a movie that like weirdly states its claim right at the start. The opening montage is all the violence in the movie, like crammed really, really quick and it's like that. By the way, this is, if you're offended, this is what you're about to see. Bam, 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 right, right in your face. I thought that was great. Um, it kind of covers the ideas of things like toxic masculinity to an extent without being preachy. Um, it's, it's certainly a post-Me Too movement sort of movie. And I know what people are saying. I don't watch my horror movies to to have like political rhetoric rammed in my throat. Well, the best horror always has, though. Uh, it's always, you know, like, 
if you're watching something like Last House on the Left and you're not picking up on the backlash towards Vietnam in that movie, which was a political decision, ladies and gents, then you're missing the point. Um, some of the best movies are byproducts of the time in which they come out. Uh, and Assassination Nation is definitely that. Now, is it a horror movie from start to finish? No, it's not. Bone Tomahawk isn't a horror movie from start to end, though, is it really? It really only becomes a horror movie in the last 25, 30 minutes. Um, and Assassination Nation is kind of the same. Um, it goes surrealist. It goes bonkers. It goes mental. Um, we have, uh, like, kind of almost Mario Bava-style coloring in certain scenes. And it's, it's made by a guy that clearly knows his cinema. Uh, and it is a wonderful can upgrade on exploitation cinema. There's a lot of exploitation in here as well. Uh, if this movie had been directed in the 70s, no one would bat an eyelid. The fact it's coming out in 2018, people seem to get a bit sniffy about it. And when they were talking about these, like, uh, the the kind of, the Heathers S aspect of Tragedy Girls, um, Assassination Nation for me was the more more important movie of the two and I think they exist in a similar bubble uh, yeah it's great the performances are great in that movie and it's just there was a couple of scenes in it which were pretty traumatic to watch if you're a dad <laughs> like really 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 cringy and then there's a couple of scenes where the when the blood starts going in this movie it's hella horrific and yeah, to me, Assassination Nation is definitely a horror movie. Um, and I wouldn't even say it's fringe horror, I would just say it's a horror movie. Um, IMDb disagrees, Wikipedia disagrees, I imagine most of the internet disagrees, but this is my list, so there we go. Uh, it made such an impact on me. Generally, I would have put this higher, but once again, we're dealing with a year where I just got pelted in the face with awesome, uh, which makes me happy. So yes, coming in at number eight, Assassination Nation. Bullshit. Why would I make that up? Because you're nuts? I don't know. Rob. No, it happened. It's happening. It's real. It's fucking real. I can't believe you wanted to kill your own mother. That's the scary part. I mean, why? God, I would never do that. I regret it, okay? Don't be such a fucking hypocrite, Rob. You do rituals all the time, try and get girls, and they never fucking work. Yeah, but that's not Blackcraft shit. You want to kill your own fucking mother. I'm just saying, if it worked, then maybe you deserve it. In at number seven, now there is a caveat here for number seven. Had this been an ordinary list, one that didn't have all Duncan's weird little rules, like the movie needs to be available in the UK um, to be taken into consideration, i.e. being given a proper release, uh, then you would totally, totally, totally have in this place um, the Puppet Master of the Reich. Uh, I got a screener for it just ahead of its Fright Fest debut. It has, however, not been given a formal release in the UK since. So it's technically not a 2018 movie in the UK. And that pains me to say that because I fucking love it and it's a top 10 movie if ever there was one and it would be in at 7. But it didn't. Um, it's not been formally released so it will be classed as a 2019 release movie on my list. Yay! Which just muddies the water some more, but kinda has to be dealt with, ladies and gents. Um, however, um, tying its place, uh, a movie that I genuinely fucking loved, it's another Fright Fest Glasgow viewing, it's a little movie called Pie Wacket, directed by Adam McDonald. Me, Scott, and Liam all watched this movie and we all fucking loved it. We then got a screener later on, uh, when it was formally kinda released on Blu-ray and stuff, and DVD in the UK. 
and uh, me, Scott Liam and the Baz talked about this movie and I think we all kind of just landed the same way with it that I think it's a fucking great great little movie which really plays with the idea of a demon slash mental health um, and I think my opinion changes every time I watch it I've watched it about four times already this year as to whether or not I believe the story is this weird depiction of mental health or whether or not it's you know a demonic per se, a possession per se um, the story follows a girl who whose dad has passed away recently she lived with her mum both of them are not coping well uh, their relationship is strained so the daughter who is kind of partly reading into satanic practices and a bit of the black metal she decides to put this curse this pie whacket curse on her mum and then realises very quickly after it that she may have actually summoned something with no way to stop it um, yeah it's fucking great performance is great wonderfully dark couple of really good scary moments in there using shadow play and just the way the cinematography is um, and Adam McDonald is firmly on the map with me I wasn't a big fan of Backcountry uh, which I thought was okay I thought I had a, a kind of cool bear sequence but that was about it um, to me Pi Wackett is the one that stands him out as this really interesting Canadian director that we should all be paying attention to uh, wonderful performances by Nicole Munoz and Laura, Laurie Holden from The Walking Dead. It's just a great movie. A really, really, really great movie. And I'm overjoyed that it made my top 10 because it deserves it. And you should all go and check it out if you haven't. Check out Piwacket. Just remember though, if you're casting a curse on anyone, like Duncan for putting Assassination Nation in his top 10, that sometimes curses bite back. So be forewarned. At number 7 on my list... Piwacket, joint with Puppet Master The Littlest Reich, which can't formally make the list because of its release. So there we go. Let's take a look at the last movie on this particular segment before we take a break and then count down our top five. So what was at number six? And this movie was pretty much like top three material for me for most of the year until October swung around and then Mandy shoved a fucking giant fucking chainsaw wrench right in there and derailed it. Um, the Endless 
I fucking love The Endless. The Endless is right up my alley. It's everything I love about cinema that plays with time. It plays with themes of of a different sort of um, struggles. It's almost like the 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 Greek trials, like set in many little bubbles. Um, it was an unexpected. Uh, <laughs> surprised to find out its lineage with uh, Resolution but one that made me incredibly happy when I did find out it's a movie which uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead continue to expand out their kind of Lovecraftian world building so obviously we've had that with Resolution, we've had it with Spring uh, and now we have it with The Endless as well which just continues stretching things out in just the best possible way it deals with cults, it deals with um, our ability to forgive, forget and move on, uh, our perceptions on, on, on life um, and if you were one of the few in the proud that shelved out a little bit of money uh, on the Arrow Blu-ray release then you were rewarded in a way I mean this is maybe one of my favourite things that Arrow did this year because not only did they give you the Endless on Blu-ray but they also um, put out the Blu-ray version so they basically bought the distribution rights to um, Resolution um, and shoved it on there as well and not only did they shove it on there but they, they gave you special features for that movie as well just, like, just gave you a plethora of stuff, a plethora of things to watch and yeah it's, it's just such a beautiful movie to look at such a weird and wonderful concept and yeah I loved it I, I was wholly engrossed by this movie, The Endless to me is a movie that would genuinely top my list in other years and I think that speaks to how strong we had in 2018 where a movie that would have topped my list had you asked me back when I watched it I was like yeah this is the movie of the year <laughs> game on um, I'm at a stage now where I'm like that yeah it's number 6 on the list and that's as good as I can go with it it's fucking great though and um, I very much want to tonight sit down and do a resolution endless double bill and that probably will happen so there we go so, let's count us down then. So, at number 20, I had Anna and the Apocalypse. Number 19 was Overlord. 18, Elementary. 17 was Mum and Dad. 16 is Apostle. 15 is Terrified. 14 is Unseen. 13 is Cold Skin, also twinned with The Shape of Water. 12 is Incident in a Ghostland. 11 is The House That Jack Built. And my 10 kicks off with 10, uh, was Ravenous or Les Femi. Uh, 9, Possum. 8, Assassination Nation. 7 is Pie Wacket, twinned with Puppet Master The Littlest Reich, which is not out in the UK formally yet. And 6 is The Endless. We've five movies left to get to, and we will be doing it after this break. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All, sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy. African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, 
Crohn's, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. So welcome back, welcome back ladies and gents. Five movies left, we're looking at my top ten, and as a very quick reminder, at number ten was Ravenous, aka Les Femme. Um, number nine, Possum. Number eight, Assassination Nation. Number seven, Pie Wacket, twinned with the Puppet Master Little Strike, which will probably make my 2019 list because it's not formally released in the UK yet. Six was The Endless. Five movies left to go. So let's do the podcast under the stairs 2018 top five starting at number five Number five, it was Revenge. I fucking love this movie. Love, 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 love this movie. Uh, Coralie Fargate, I think that's not how you pronounce her name, but that's how I'm pronouncing it, uh, swings out with her directorial debut. That's right, Rape Revenge by a Woman, motherfucker. Um, swings out with this hyper, hyper stylized rape revenge caper now I had a lot of people comparing it to I Spit in Your Grave I don't think that's fair Um, I can see why you might want to do that because you're like well it's a woman who gets a horrible thing done to her and then picks off the people who have done that to her but I think this movie is in a lot of respects a lot smarter than that Um, like the the turn that our character takes in terms of just like what our heroine takes in terms of just being like leveled up to kind of levels of badassery um, is more to me in lines with something like uh, the bride from Kill Bill. That's Tarantino getting another mention on this show uh, than it is with um, the the, the kind of the victim in the I Spit in Your Grave. Um, this movie has a very uncomfortable kind of horrible rape scene in it um, and then a couple of nasty like she's trying to get herself better sort of scenes but what this movie delivers in in spades is the vengeance and the vengeance is not only just but it is fucking bloody um, it's beautifully shot I mean the the cinematography is wonderful um, the, the, the kind of scenescapes where it's actually shot is incredible as well and the end of this movie is about as bloody as any movie I've ever seen (laughs) fucking buckets of blood everywhere I think it's really well acted the score by Rob is the tits it's been on constant play on my iPod this year pretty much non-stop since I watched the movie it's synth wavy it's great Um, yeah I fucking love this movie It, it like from the moment I got my screener for it right through to 
you know, now. Um, it's a movie that I just want to keep watching. It is badassery at its finest. And I cannot wait to see what this woman does again. To me, she... Like, few directors come out the stall and for their first movie do rape revenge. I mean, that's just a really difficult movie to get people interested in, let alone do it this way. It just makes me so happy. And uh, revenge is totally, totally worthy of my number five spot. Can you go away, please? We're trying to talk. Do you not get on well with your parents? They don't care about me. I know you're still there. Can you help me? I'll try. <laughs> All I need you to do so just, just tell me everything you can about that night. Everything. If I can just understand what happened, then everything will be fine. Right, let's swing it into number four. A movie that I should have seen as part of Glasgow Fright Fest, as uh, the opening night's movies, um, the kind of UK premieres, but um, due to horrible snow, did not get a chance to see, um, is this little movie called Ghost Stories which to me was this really well-constructed modernising of um, the movies I grew up with. I grew up watching a lot of Amicus Horror as well as Hammer Horror. Uh, so if you watched Amicus, you would get a lot of anthologies and Ghost Stories was playing into that. It was giving you the the kind of thrill ride that these movies did um, was based on the stage play by Jeremy Dyson who's one of the League of Gentlemen uh, and Andy Nyman and starring Andy Nyman uh, written and directed by both Jeremy Dyson and Andy Nyman uh, with a great cast I mean a like, really 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 great cast probably the biggest name in it was Martin Freeman who everyone will know from things like The Hobbit um, or if you watch that Sherlock programme and stuff or Cargo this year uh, but you, if you're in the UK Alex Lothar you, he's, a, he's a face that appeared was it the Fuck the World or whatever the name of that show was he's in that uh, Paul Whitehouse is a comedian who's been on the TV for years, kind of character comedian who'd done a lot of stuff with Harry Enfield and like the fast show and stuff. Um, he's in it as well. It's got a really, really good cast. And basically, what it is is a paranormal debunker um, being given th being given three cases to solve, uh, so to speak, to prove that paranormal activity is not real. And each of them are completely different, completely weird. And as he starts to go through them, he starts to realise that he may be more connected to the events than he thought he was. Um, this to me is genuinely creepy in parts. I think it's wonderfully shot. I think it's a great story. I know a lot of people struggled with the end, but I loved the end the first time round and then on the second view and loved it even more. Um, there are elements to the end, explaining the end all the way throughout the movie. And if you look at them, they're all in the background. Um, I thought performances were great. I thought Andy Nyman is a, a, like a real talent who we need more of in movies. His portrayal of fear is fucking great. I thought Martin Freeman was wonderfully weird. Uh, Paul Whitehouse genuinely had me like shitting myself during those scenes in the asylum. And yeah, just a great fucking movie. A, a, a warm hand on your shoulder 
Um, and a little cuddle to the bosom of the Amicus fans here is this really great modern retelling of a lot of the movies that you would have grown up with watching. Um, yeah, I, I think it I, I think it holds everything surprisingly well. Uh, I think it's one of the best anthologies, even though it's technically not an anthology. One of the best anthologies I've seen in a long, long time. And a movie that I will revisit forever. <laughs> I think it's fucking great. Uh, Ghost Stories is a, a wonderful experience for me. Um, and hopefully you got a chance to see it as well. I got a feeling that if you haven't seen this one yet, it's going to appear on these, you know, movies that you should have seen that you didn't from this year um, in the future. And I, I think it will find its audience, a wider audience, much later on when people come back and realise how good this fucking movie is. It's, it's kind of fucking phenomenal how great this is. And British as well, which just makes me happy. <laughs> you can't make me happy enough when UK horror starts to, to really churn up the charts for me. So that is at number four on my list is Ghost Stories. When you dance the dance of another, you make yourself in the image of its creator. You empty yourself so that her work can live within you. Do you understand? Yeah. You're in a company now. You have to find your right place. You have to decide. What is it you want to be for this company? Is it the head? The spine? The sex? The heart? The hands. I want to be this company's hands. Higher. 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 So let's swing it to number three. The top three on my list. Number three is Suspiria from 2018. The Luca Guadagnaggio. I can't pronounce it. The Luca. <laughs> um, Amazon funded remake of Dario Argento's masterpiece. Um, what to say about this movie? I have thought very little about any other movie having watched it as much as I've thought about Suspiria. It's... I can't wait to own it. I just want it in my hands. I think it is a tour de force of cinema. A movie that a lot of people said could never be remade. And it wasn't remade. That's the, that's the cool thing about Suspiria in 2018. is It's not a let's make Argento's Suspiria. It's let's take the themes, the ideas and the context and really do our own thing with it. And he did. Apparently Luca had been wanting to make this movie for pretty much his whole career. Um, and he got a phenomenal cast involved with him I think Dakota Johnson and some people have been a bit sniffy on her I think she plays the role really well I think this is Tilda Swindon's movie over and over and over and over again um, she is so fucking great in this it's almost, it's almost scary and then just the, the list of kind of witch character actors in here from um, Angela Winkler uh, Alec Wick. Doris Hick, 
Malgorazza Bella. Uh, just loads of different, different actresses in here just playing these little parts and really bringing this idea of a coven into full view. I think it's, a, it's one of the best witch movies I've ever seen where I just felt like this is what a cult, a cult of witches would feel like. It's wonderfully set in the 70s. Its attention to detail is, is surpassed only by the gruesomeness of this movie. Some of the one-shots of of horror in this movie are the best shots of horror. There's a contortion scene, um, death about 40 minutes into this movie that will stay with me to the grave. Um, I thought it was fucking excellent. Like, really, really good movie. And I knew it had a shot at being good. I wasn't one of these ones that was against it being remade. I knew it had a shot. Uh, I was floored by how fucking good it is. I, I, I genuinely can't speak highly enough about it. I think this, even the score, the Tom York score, which people were moaning about, fit perfectly with the atmosphere of this movie. Um, no one's ever saying that the Goblin score isn't better. The Goblin score certainly fits that movie, but Tom York totally nailed the atmospheric vibes and the tone of of this telling of Suspiria. I think it is fucking incredible. Um, and my third favourite horror movie of 20. 18. Can't wait to own this one. This one is a many, many, many rewatch for me. I, I, I'm going to obsess about this movie for years and years to come. And you know what? I kind of love it. So let's move on. Top two movies. In at number two. You okay, Mom? What? Is there something on your mind? Is there something on your mind? Just seems like there might be something you want to say. Yeah. Like what? I mean, why would I want to say something so I could watch you sneer at me? Sneer at you? I don't ever sneer at you. Oh, sweetie, you don't have to. You get your point across. Okay, so fine. Then say what you want to say then. Peter. I don't want to say anything. I've tried saying Okay, things. so try again. Release yourself. Oh, release you, you mean? Yeah, fine. Release me. Just say it. Just... Don't you swear at me, you little Don't you ever raise your voice at me. I am your mother. Do you understand? And in any other year, any other year, this movie would top my list with a fucking bullet. Talk about debuts, ladies and gents. Ari Aster damn near stole the year from me. Um, Hereditary is fucking incredible for lack of a better word. Having now seen it three times, I can assure you it is a movie that more than handles itself on a rewatch. Um, Tony Collette's performance, we've all spoke about it, it's incredible. Um, just the, the the nods to 60s and 70s horror that Astor clearly is influencing in this movie um, are right there. Uh, this has a, a scene in it where there's a death scene in this movie which, when it happened, left the audience in the cinema, both times I saw this, so quiet you could hear a mouse fart. That's that's how quiet the cinema was. It just... I can't think of any time that something has happened so viciously against what you think is going to happen in the movie because of the trailer, and everyone is stunned by it, and I was equally shocked the second time. I think it's this wonderful 
allegory for so many dark, twisted little things. And it's a movie that has so much subtext, and I, I, I recommend everyone goes back and listens to my review of it uh, for all my theories, and I point out a lot of what I saw going on in this one, and I think I'm only just scratching the surface of what is going on in this movie. Uh, I know that Bo Ransdell says that the family drama bit to him is more interesting than the horror bit, and I can kind of see where he's coming from, but I kind of love that horror bit. Um, the last half an hour of this movie is fucking crazy. It's balls to the wall, every shot is just a scene of horror, and uh, Tony Collette's scene with a garrote in this movie, uh, and the, the, the look on her face is as terrifying as watching Reese Shearsmith come out of that tent with the rope. Um, in a field in England, just like scenes of true fucking horror that will stay with me. I recommend that you pair this movie up with a little movie called uh, Kill List for a good fucking time and a hatred of humanity. Hereditary and Kill List pair really, really, really well together. But yeah, just, I love this movie. I think it's absolutely fucking incredible and it occupied my, the dark corners, the dark recesses of my mind for quite some time after watching it. Uh, I think that's a testament to great storytelling and amazing cinema. Uh, Hereditary is the real fucking deal. So when people were talking about it being, you know, one of the must-see horror movies of the year, they were not lying. Um, and like I say, any other year, right there, it would it would kick the tits out of quite a few movies that I've topped my lists in previous years. Um, it was just pipped this year it was just pipped and I suppose you probably guessed what it's been pipped by so let's not spend any more time but let's uh, let's talk about a movie that right after watching it made an irreverence on podcasts under the stairs unheard of no movie's ever done that before uh, so at number one on my list what you hunting Jesus freaks <laughs> I don't know that was season man yeah, well... Just tell me, man. They lit her on fire! There were weirdo hippie types. Whole bunch of them. Then there, there was a muscle. It didn't make any sense. They were bikers and gnarly psychos and... It's crazy evil. Black skulls. Black skulls. Look at me. For a while now, word's been coming down from the big rig, something dark and fearsome out there. No one knows where they come from. First, it was stories from the interstate, leaving truckers for dead, prostitutes vanishing, and gutted bodies on doorsteps, and always the same. Biker gang, black bikes, only seen at night. Weird shit. There are stories that there was a chapter that ran courier for a manufacturer of LSD. It took a disliking to them and cooked them up a special batch and they have never been right in the head since. I've seen them once from a distance. What you're hunting is rabid animals, and you should go in knowing that your odds ain't that good, and you will probably die. 
Don't be negative. Last I heard on the CB, they were spotted down near Spirit River. When I seen them things, they were in a world of pain. But you know what the freakiest part was? What's that? They fucking loved it. And that's right, you guys called it when you said, Duncan, you're going to love this movie. Number one on my list is Panos Cosmotos Mandy. Um, a movie that fucking floored me from start to finish. A movie that I have obsessed about, I've watched several times. A movie that I think is pretty much damn near the best singular vision of horror cinema I've seen in a long, long time. Now, before we start gushing more about Mandy, I have done an irreverence on it, so I'm not going to go into too much detail about it because I've dedicated the whole episode to it. It is worth saying that there was a movie better than it. There was a movie that would have been number one on my list, shunting every other title down one, uh, and thus Anna and the Apocalypse would not have made my list. Mandy been, would have been number two, Hereditary would have been number three, Suspiria would have been number four, and Ghost Stories would have been number five. And up until yesterday, um, I, I genuinely thought I was going to be bold and take a risk and put it as my number one. However, I do have a rule, and that rule is simple. If the movie is not officially out in the country that I'm in, or when I create the year's list, then I can't count it. So this will definitely be on my 2019 list, and it probably will top my 2019 list, so be forewarned. Um, the best horror movie for me was Tigers Are Not Afraid, I saw it at Glasgow Fright Fest. It's fucking incredible. It has not got a release date in 2018, and it still doesn't have for 2019. I know it will be out in 2019, but it's just not been released yet. So as a result, it did not get included on my list, but let me be adamant. The best horror movie I saw this year was Tigers Are Not Afraid. That is the movie and I will keep banging on about it until it gets released and then you must all go and see it and be... People are talking about movies that stuck with them, emotionally impactful, a dark fantasy, all these keywords that people have been talking about, like scenes of true real-life horror. Tigers Are Not Afraid have all of that. It's a movie where I spoke to several grown men. I will not name them on this show because they listen and they have podcasts came up to me and told me they were in tears at the end of this movie about how much it moved them. Uh, and I think that speaks to the incredible filmmaking behind it. So Tigers Are Not Afraid should be the rightful number one on this list. But because I'm a stickler for rules, and I'm sticking to my rules, Mandy is number one on my list. And to be honest with you, I ain't crying that Tigers Are Not Afraid has made this a very easy decision for me by not being released. Mandy's the best horror movie of the year. Um, Nicholas Cage, what can I say? Uh... People just want to talk about the cage rage in this movie. I just want to talk about everything else that Cage does in this movie. The tenderness at the start of this movie. The the scenes of grief, which may be one of my favourite shots in cinema this year. Um, and the revenge that you get in this one. We have Cenobite bikers. We have, essentially, the pharmacist who is a.k.a. the architect who is a.k.a. God or an angel. Uh, we have the showdown between um, uh, Red and uh, the the Jeremiah character, uh, played by a guy called Linus Roach, who I know nothing about, who's fucking amazing. Um, we have Andrea Risenborough, 
playing Mandy who looms across this movie from start to finish. Richard Brake, who's the chemist, not the pharmacist, sorry, that's the UK person in me. Wait, now, a wonderful little cameo by Bill Duke, which made me smile from ear to ear. It has an incredible score, incredible score, um, which like looms over this entire movie. It's three different chapters documenting the turn of, of 70s rock to 80s thrash to 90s black metal all permeating through it. It's Panos Cosmos doing what he does, delivering these weird abstract sort of visions of, of cinema and storytelling in a way that we just don't see and I just fucking loved. Um, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible and the like I said before, it's very few times in your life where you see such a singular vision of horror. Uh, cinema on the screen where from start to finish just as one director owning every fucking scene uh, like you will Mandy just an incredible incredible piece of art so there we go ladies and gents so let's count it down so 20 through 11 Anna and the Apocalypse 19 Overlord 18 Elementary 17 Mum and Dad 16 Apostle 15 Terrified 14 Unsane 13 Cold Skin slashed with the Shape of Water, 12, Incident in a Ghostland, 11, The House that Jack Built, and then we do the top 10. Uh, number 10, Ravenous, 9, Possum, 8, Assassination Nation, 7, Was Piwacket, also twinned with Puppet Master The Littlest Reich, which did not get a formal release in the UK in 2018, uh, 6, Was The Endless, and the top 5, 5, at Revenge, 4, Ghost Stories, 3, Suspiria, 2, Hereditary, one was Mandy, and like I say, when you all see Tigers Are Not Afraid, you will hopefully see why I've gushed about that movie all year, but that's the one that should be the spiritual leader of this year, but Mandy is the rightful leader of this year. Ooh, feels good to get that list done. Let's close out for our final break and come back and close out the show right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been episode 166, counting down my top 20 movies of 2018 in the horror category. As well as that, we had some fun listening to your lists as well. Uh, just catching up with a general discussion on what has been the high points of horror in 2018. Looking forward to this month. Uh, we have a ton of content now that we're back after our two week hiatus. Um, you obviously have this episode dropping today. Uh, we have Movie Club dropping Thursday. A bonus review dropping on Saturday of One Cut of the Dead. And then closing out this week, a four episode week for you. Italian Collection Disc 23 for the eight films. And it's Anima by Lucio Fulci. Looking forward to the rest of the month. We have an Andy Loves Art House episode coming. Bonus review of the new uh, M. Night Shyamalan film Glass. We are bringing the slasher classics from 88 Films into a series as well. Uh, running fortnightly every other week from the 88 Films collection. We'll be kicking that off with graduation date in this month. Um, we are going to be doing a very special episode which I have called John Carpenter's January. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, we also will have your returns for Movie Club. We will have another Italian collection with Beyond Darkness 
and something else in the pipeline. So tons of shit coming up. We're back, baby. Podcast Under the Stairs 2019 will be our biggest year yet. So strap yourselves in. Now, historically, I've spent a lot of time telling you where you can find the show and all the rest. And I I love doing it, but to be honest, it takes a lot of my time. And there's part of me for a while being like that. Maybe I should just pre-record something. I've decided not to pre-record something. But what I will say is the podcast under the stairs can be found at an Apple podcast. Rate us and review us over on that platform because it helps. Visit our website. It's tputzcast.com. You can check us out on SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, Google Play and the TuneIn app. Uh, you can buy merch from us by going to tputzcast.com and clicking the merch tab or going direct to our merch site which is tputzcast.bigcartel.com You can visit us on Facebook. We have two pages. We have a group page which is the one where everyone chats. That's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast. We have a Facebook page which just tells you when the shows are dropping and when the live streams happen. That's facebook.com forward slash tputzcast. And we are on the twin prongs of social media sexiness. Instagram and Twitter both can be followed at Cast. during this month I'm going to sort out how I'm going to finish these episodes and I'm going to condense it right down because I feel like I waffle far too much at the end but needless to say it feels great to be back thank you very much to everyone that submitted a list in and let's see what we can do this year I want to raise this show I've got ambitions I want this show to crack over 100,000 downloads this year that is my target ladies and gents I can only do it with your help uh, you telling your friends to check it out promoting the show downloading the episodes let's make this year huge we can do it i really think we can do it if we put our mind to it um so let's try and break some records and promote this show further than we've ever done before that being said wherever you are whatever the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours i hope you had a fantastic new year feels great to be back and this is duncan mcleish broadcasting live from under the stairs and i am signing off
my life. 